this week, we talked to director Ira Sachs about his passages, Steady Now, and Watch the Equalizer! Three, director Antoine Fuqua, we also talked to him. All that, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has started ending conversations by saying R.I.P. in a breezy tone. Try it. It might work. It might just work. Try it. Try it now. R.I.P. You're telling someone to rest in peace, uh-huh. right? Right. In a breezy way. It covers all bases just in case you get hit by a bus. Yeah. All right? I, I think it's a nice way to end conversations. I I have notes, but you know okay. what? We'll work. Try it. R.I.P. It's better than saying goodbye. R.I.P. I hope you rest in peace. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, we're in the studio, and I am joined by, well, you'll see. Certainly two colleagues of such lethal cunning on the regular. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here. Hello. R.I.P. Uh, great big fucking nerd James Dyer is here. I, I, I mourn the days when I was nerd emperor James Dyer, and I was never by Helen, nerd emperor. who resented no, the no, fact no, that no, I outranked no. her. You, no, no, you tried specifically <laughs> to come up with a name that would outrank mine. But isn't that how empires are formed? Mine's, Imperialism kind of works that way, right? Mine's organic. You're, you're just like a put-on show. I'm not having it. How did you become Geek Queen? You said it. Not yeah, me. you started it. You promoted her. You've never promoted me. I am a great big fucking nerd, though, you know, as opposed to a small nerd. Helen's here. James is here. RIP to you both. Uh, but joining us in the fourth chair this week, we have a new pair of buttocks in the fourth chair. We had some success a few weeks ago with an Australian in the fourth chair. So we figured we'd give it another go. Of sorts, because you're actually from New Zealand, but also Australia. Yeah, half Like Russell Crowe. Exactly like Russell Crowe, and he's part Māori, and so am I. There we go. But I also feel like, firstly, R.I.P., feel like I'm intruding on like a weird sort of breakup. Happening. Yes, that's usually the three That's very much our fun. Queens yeah. and empires and shit. I'm like, yeah. fuck, should I yeah, go? Absolutely. Sorry. I just realized I still haven't introduced no. you. Uh, yeah, please I... welcome the author <laughs> of the forthcoming The Graveyard Shift, Maria Lewis. Hi, thanks so How much are for you? having me. I'm a long time listener. G'day. Yeah, g'day, mate. G'day, mate. Oh, could, this is try my accent right. on you. I was about to say, can you judge his Ben Mendelssohn? Oh, oh, you're not going to call I forgot how to do him. How do you do Ben Middleton? You've got to have a wee, wee bit of a lisp, a little bit of malice. You've got to have a like, Oh, I'm not going to do it now. You're no, not going to no, call I've the fallen, cut. Your talos, you've lost your talos. I've lost my talos. My talos, yeah. <laughs> my talos Go is Go back off. to your, your, your cockbiter routine. That probably works. Uh, cockbiter? Mm. Just Chip a cockbiter? Yeah, it's just a little bit of a cockbiter, mm, mate. That's our culture. Yeah, that's a culture. Yeah, there you Don't worry. It's the tip nipper. Have you ever seen a... I was going to say Ben Mendelsohn. A Ben Mendelsohn. I, I met him at a kebab shop at three in the morning in King's Cross. That's, that's, his, that's his natural environment, I believe. Yeah, he was <laughs> he like by to... himself smashing a Yoros. And uh, I was like, oh, He was doing see? a what? Uh, Is that a sex act? No. <laughs> well, King's Cross, it could be. I mean, no, it's like a type of kebab. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. smashing a Yoros. So, uh, Wow. And did you immediately connect because of the Antipodean roots? No, I didn't really mention it. I just kind of wanted to leave him to his lamb situation and just like <laughs> completely duck out. Also, three in the morning is a very specific time to bump into Mendelssohn on the That's street. That's when he's just getting know? warmed up. Yeah. I, you yeah. don't want to go full Mendo. He has yet to feed. <laughs> you want to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to get into outsider Mendo. You just want to be like, Mendo. I love this Australian yeah. nickname yeah. way. Everyone has an O on their name. Yeah, full Mendo. The Mendalorian. Yeah. What would, what would Helen be? How could you do possibly do like, you know... Oh, she's Hazza. 
Hazza. Hazza. Hazza O'Hara. <laughs> Love Hazza. That's how, that's how we met. Was She was Hazza. We met at the um, press junket for Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. With San Diego Comic With Pato. Pato. <laughs> Patsy. 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 Yep. T. Lortz and Case Do. Case Do. Everyone calls her yeah, Case Do. Who offered me a dowry that day? As I said, well, I'm sorry, so. a what? A dowry? A dowry. Oh, like she wasn't going to marry you. No. Oh, right. I would I'm like sorry. That. A cigarette is a, is a what? A diary. You've just made that up. No, no that is legitimate. Yeah. Is it short for something or? Dazza? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's short for Dazza. Yeah. I love that. A diary. What if someone's antipodeanly challenged right now? They're like, yeah. like listen to this podcast. Go, I don't so know what's sorry going on. to all the British listeners just having a mental breakdown. This is amazing. Durries and Mendo's yeah. all over the shop. That's it. This is great. My question was, <laughs> my question was, have you ever um, seen a venomous snake? Just to put some context on this, Chris is mortally afraid okay. of snakes and is convinced that if he ever sets foot Did on you bring the one with you? Of you know Australia, why he doesn't like them, though, He don't will you? be killed immediately. Mm. Because they have venom... Venom, 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 venom. That's it. A little That's bit of a little Sims reference for you guys. It. She's from here. There you go. Topical. Um, okay. Have I? Have yeah. yeah, of yes. course. I've had to kill them. Everyone has, haven't they? What? You've had to kill them? Yeah, you have to. They're everywhere. What are you talking about? Was it about? whacking day? <laughs> no, it was because I was looking oh, after... Oh, you back to Ben Mendelsohn again. <laughs> shop at 3 a.m. <laughs> no, it's like uh, I was looking after my mum's puppy, uh, which is a Kelpie Dalmatian cross. And that's and an actual is... dog. It's not another yeah, Australian no. term for something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah puppy. Um, different puppies, different. Um, for Fuji, it was the dog's name. And anyway, it had, um, it was chasing a snake and it got it in its mouth. And I could <sighs> see the snake was still alive. So it was a question of the dog or the snake. And so you have to kill yeah. a snake. But it's actually like, you know, very common. Did, very did you see the news story this week about the woman who got attacked by a snake that had mm. been dropped by an eagle? Yes. yes. And the snake landed on her arm, wrapped around her arm, proceeded to bite her in the face. <laughs> and just when she thought it couldn't get any worse, the fucking eagle entered the chat oh and started clawing God. her with its talons. Yeah. It was Where a couple was of weeks ago, though. It was in America. It's okay. in America. I was like going to say, that Only feels very America. American. Yeah. That's nature is healing. They're like, we hate you guys so much. <laughs> Can you get out of here? Everything you do is despicable. Anyway, let's drop from the sky. What was the snake that was attacking Fuji? Oh, it was a brown snake. Oh, shit. Yeah, they're pretty poisonous, but... Pretty poisonous? Yeah. Pretty poisonous? Like, this is the second most venomous snake on the planet. Well, we, what are we you talking about? about? This, wasn't it? That when they were naming it's snakes, everyone most. has just got so... T- it's just a fucking brown snake. It's a brown, it's a brown it's a snake. snake. It's a fucking brown snake. I'm not getting, any, I'm not getting close <laughs> enough to find out. Australia is full, uh, is full as far as I can tell, of things that can kill you. They mm. have, you have snakes, you have spiders, you have Stephen Dennis. Mel Gibson. You know, can you, Mel Gibson, obviously. Mm. Can you, is there any, you know, have you encountered anything other than a, a snake and More sharks, it? really, than sharks. anything else. Yeah, because they're everywhere and shark nets are a placebo, so they don't really work. And you're in the ocean all the time, and there's lots of different species. Jesus. Sharks are just out there, baby. Mm. And as we learned from Jaws 4, they'll follow you on hold. <sighs> they will. Mm. They That's love the Caribbean. Works. That's what we know. They love Michael Caine. And um, this time it's personal. So that's heavy. I'm not going to leave this pod booth, quite frankly, after this, because uh, apparently sharks and snakes are everywhere. Uh, well, I mean, look, not to like segue into, you know, stuff, but she's just written a book called The Graveyard Shift. Oh, <laughs> yeah. very which good. Is about, which is about a radio DJ who is stalked by... A snake? Yes. A shark. Yes, a like, snake. Correct. A Stephen Dennis. Correct. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to spoil the twist it's at the end. slasher. Oh, very good. Stephen Dennis, Stephen snake Dennis. killer. Yeah. Every time he kills a snake, he goes, don't it make you feel good? And then he slops, yeah. lops her heads off yeah. with, oh, a, with a sharpened Do you think our kebab. references could be more up to date? No. Okay. 
probably best. No, be anyway, but yeah, that, so I'm just saying the booth may not be safe. Mm. Wow. This is how it starts. Mm. There we go. travel with me. We're fine. Yeah, RIP. The booth may not be safe, of course, is uh, the warning that was given to Abraham Lincoln just before he was <laughs> killed. Oh. Wow. Yeah. If, you want, if, you want, if you want topical references. Because yeah. uh-huh. famously, Powers Booth shot Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> John Wilkes Booth. Oh. Sorry, Hazza. <laughs> oh, Hazza. Oh, oh, yeah. We've, I'm so we've, sorry. We've absolutely... Sticking around. We've cocked that one right That's up, mate. That's a keeper. Yeah. That's a keeper. That's a tip nipper, mate. Hazza and Husey over here. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What's your nickname then, Maria? What's your word? Mazza. Mazza. There is a theme Yeah, here. Mazza, Mazza and Hazza. dog, like Maserati, anything in the Maz family, really. Mazza, why don't you tell the Lizzies, that's the listeners, at home about your new book, Booksies. Uh, well, it's called <laughs> Feel Really Attacked. Uh, <laughs> it's called The Graveyard Shift, and it's a pop culture slasher set in Melbourne, which is, um, you know, for movie heads, the home birthplace of the first feature film ever made, um, which is, of course, about Ned Kelly, because Australians fucking love Ned Kelly. Um, <laughs> and it follows a radio DJ who runs a horror movie themed radio show and one of the listeners gets killed and so it's a race against time to figure out who the murderer is while tracking through sort of Melbourne pop culture and Australian film history. It's very like scream, like urban legend, Halloween inspired sort of like, you know, the legacy of your Wes Craven and John Carpenter's and that 90s wave of slashes that all popped up post-scream. And um, I used to love literary slashes, like in the 70s, you know, like I Know What You Did Last Summer was a book first and it was a real banger. And then it just kind of like, as slashes took over in the film space, they kind of disappeared in the book space. And I was sort of really like fanging. back. Yeah, I was fanging for more of them to come back. And they've just started to really like break into the market again, which is very exciting for me because I love horror movies and I love pop culture and I love slashes and I have nine other books, but they're all sort of, you know, in the genre space. And most of my work is sort of in the genre space as a screenwriter. So I was very excited to get a chance of trying to have a crack at a murder mystery. And yeah, I don't know. I just fucking love a slasher. It's like a bit of a dream to get to write one, to be honest. What's the first sentence? Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Oh. Sounds amazing. I mean, I read it the other night, but I haven't like <laughs> learned it yet. It, it, you read it the other night in about an hour. I'm guessing. Yeah. She uh, actually, yeah. it was a few hours, but yeah. So, yeah. so because she, she very kindly sent me like a, an e-copy, so I could have a read before before this, mm-hmm. and and I was like, well, I'll just read a chapter or two before bed, and then like three hours later. Anyway, um, Mira Brandt couldn't get the blood off her skin. Oh, <gasps> right yeah. away you've got them by the chaffers. That's yeah. it, little I like psycho. That. I want to know more. I want to know more. That's it. Who is she? How Put did the blood get on her skin? Th- exactly. Whose blood is it? Ben Mendelsohn's kebab shop. (laughs) 3 a.m. I don't think there are any Mendo references in there, actually. There should be. There should be. Could you do like an Australian Cluedo? It was Ben Mendelsohn in the kebab shop. (laughs) I think that would give it away. This is the problem. If you had Jackie Weaver or Ben Mendelsohn on the board, you know... One of one of the killer, yeah. Yeah. See, you say Jackie Weaver, I think Hansford the Parish Council. Yeah, we do not recognise your authority, (laughs) Jackie Weaver. (laughs) Uh, The references are just getting later and later. (laughs) Tough. All right. Well, this sounds amazing. So this is uh, this is going to be on sale. When's it? When's it going to sale? September twelfth. September twelfth. Fantastic. Yeah, British publisher. So there you go. I'm so sorry. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I, I promise you that the um, 
Well, I can't promise you, but I, I, I think the uh, the Australian accents are going to be toned down a little bit from now on. We're, we're, we're now we're over the we're over it. Yeah, the, fine. the excitement of having someone new in the pod booth is, has yeah. dissipated, and now we can get on with the rest of the show. Very nervous about Equalizer Three being set in Australia, so that makes it really tough. No, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Italy. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I was just oh, making jokes. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Sorry, I didn't realize one person uh, allowed to make bad jokes. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry about that. I would love to see the Equalizer go to Australia. Same. Wouldn't that be amazing? Same. It would be so good. Yeah, I would love it. <laughs> what would his nickname be? What? Equal, well, he's, Ro- he's Robert. Yeah. He's, he's Robert, Robert McCall. Ross, so he'd Ross be Robbo. 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 Yeah. 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 Robbo on set and then Denzo when oh, it's cold Robbo. cut. Denzo, Denzo, Denzo. Works. Denzo. Yeah. Denzo, wash dog. Yeah, I think they, I think they should do that. I think they should uh, they should just go around the world doing more and more Equalizer movies. I'd be I'd be I'd be buying up for that. Yeah. I love every single Equalizer movie does something complete. Like it has a formula, obviously, but I'll never forget the set piece at the end of the second one that happens in the middle of a hurricane. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's I had never seen anything like that. It was so genius. Like, yes, okay, we need to have a scene where you fight a bunch of bad guys and it's got to accumulate in XYZ thing, but we're gonna have it happen in a hurricane and just like some guy might just get blown around a building and you might not see another person as they get washed off the shore. Like, interesting, fascinating. It's one of the most uh, extreme methods I've ever seen of making sure there are no civilians in the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so. keep that extras budget down, baby. Yeah, absolutely. No featured extras if it's a hurricane. More money for the wind machines. Yeah, and like the first one in the hardware store, same deal. It was only the stunt uh, people tracking. The Battle of b Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going aisle through aisle. I was like, oh, genius, practical. Clean up on aisle three. Yeah, ingenious filmmaking. That's uh, Pedro Pascal's a bad guy in that one. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> ruin the equalizer too for everyone. <laughs> no, no moustache. He's been out for about five years now. Come on, get with the program, people. Um, he's got no tash in that one. No. So, oh, that's where he went wrong. Yeah, yeah. maybe the wind machine blew it off. <laughs> maybe, but also David Harbour was in the first one. Yes. And so it feels like you know who is going to be the internet's boyfriend coming mm. out of this new one. I'm fascinated to find out. There is uh, Roy from the office, David Denman. That's who true. is um, having a nice little kind of second act in his career. Roy, of course, if you watch The American Office, mm. uh, he was Pam's original boyfriend. He was original fiancé before she split up with him. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler and everything alert, now. Yeah. And got together with Jim. Jack Ryan. Yeah, yeah got together with Jack, Jack Ryan. Ryan. Uh, and yeah, so he he's now kind of having this nice second act as a kind of a burly man, a burly dependable man. So maybe, oh, maybe him, because he's 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 up your street, Helen, isn't he? He's, he's like he's big, burly with a wow. beard, and like, like an internet beard. girlfriend, right? Because you've got a, a man of fire reunion. You do with the yeah. Fanning sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. do. This is odd. Death. <laughs> but also, I mean, the the Italians actually. There's um, Andrea. Crazy as odd as death. You know what? We'll talk about this in the spoiler. It's fine. We will. Are we doing a spoiler? I don't, I don't know. know. Who knows? I'd just but, like to see the film at this point. But should sure. we have a question? Some people get equalized. Yeah, sure. Really, please, that doesn't. Please, God, should we have a question? <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. All right, here's one um, from Special Man Music. <laughs> Best slash worst movie naming conventions. Do you prefer numbers, colons, or other types? I cannot for the life of me, this is special man music tell you which order the Spider-Verse I mean there's two of them mm. get with the fucking program mm. or the Planet of the Apes movies I occur have trouble the, well with Apes that. is a real problem because you have Rise of the Apes and followed Dawn by Dawn of, of the yeah. Apes yeah. which has a war in it but then mm. War of the Apes which does not in fact feature a war comes mm. after the Dawn 
And yeah, the nomenclature is all over the fucking yeah. place. And there's another one being filmed right now in Australia that yeah. has right. also got an extremely confusing title. Lunch of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe it's Apatif of the Planet yeah. of the Apes. Yeah. Elevenses. Elevenses. <laughs> uh, what about the original five? Can any can any of you name them and put them in the correct order? No, nah. I cannot. Absolutely no. not. Absolutely. So give it a go. <laughs> no. Go on, just give it a try. Dr. Zayas Planet one of through the five. Apes. Dr. Zayas, Planet Dr. Of the Zayas Apes two. two. Planet of the Apes three. <laughs> See, that's how it should work, Return right? Return to Planet of the Apes is definitely one. Okay. Under the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> ba- battle for the Planet of the Apes? Yeah. Two Planet, mm-hmm. two Dinner ape. with the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, two Planet, two Ape. Step up to the Apes. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought that was Mon- <laughs> Planet of the Apes, Monkey Boogaloo. Yes. One. Yes. Um, yeah. See, that, that was, that was, uh, it was taking risks with the, uh, the old names. I mean, so, but they were no was... fast though, were they? Like Fast no. and Furious are Those, the, the absolute uh, kingpins so of good. mental nomenclature. Fate of the Furious <laughs> with the, the hard furious. eight. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's, I I applaud their commitment to inconsistency. I just that they've gone out of their way to make sure that there is not one mm. single thread of consistency throughout the entire naming of the series. Yeah. And that takes real effort. Yeah, well, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw was a hard pivot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, it's, the fact is that you know that Fast X will not be followed by Fast XI. It will be followed by something It'll completely It will be Fast Elevenses. You Fast Elevenses, yeah. yes. That's it. Fast X Part 2, Fast Elevenses. Vin Diesel can have that one. Yeah. I, I think... I think I think some consistency is fun. I mean, yes, I appreciate, like I said, I, I'm at this point, if Fast and Furious started being consistent, I think we'd all explode. It would make no sense. Mm. But, you know, as a general rule, if I were in charge of a studio naming system, I would probably say, hey, guys, let's stick a format and then stick to it. Yeah. Let's pick one and just go with that one. Let's pick Roman numerals or numbers, but like, let's make a decision on that. <laughs> um, and then, I, so, I, so I probably would be pretty boring and just go, you know, let's say Planet of the Apes 2 <laughs> subtitle something. Yes, yeah. but the problem with that is that at a certain point the numbers get so large mm-hmm. that shame kicks in mm-hmm. and they begin to try and cover up the fact that we're on I the eighth installment. Yeah. So that's come up so with a really, I really have, elaborate title. I have a great idea for that and here it is. Right. Make a fucking original film at that point, mm. fuck's sake. That's quite a long title. Yeah, but I think it could really work. I think <laughs> people would go for it. Fuck's Make sake. a fucking original film for fuck's, fuck's sake. sake two the fucking in. Yeah. But Captain I like America, that. I really like their naming convention. You know what I mean? Like Captain America, okay, you know what you're getting. And then First, First Avenger, Avenger, Civil War, Winter Soldier, like, yeah. But it's a know, simple, elegant functional. colon, isn't it? The problem yeah. is when you have repetition of punctuation. So mm. Mission Impossible, they've already used yeah. the colon right off the bat. I know, so you've got to wheel a dash out. They have made a, a rod for their own backs. Yeah. Oh, they've and made Star Wars has the same problem backs. because you've got yeah. Star Wars and then you've got a colon and then episode and then a dash. No. And it's just. A yeah. lot of these films have had colonoscopies. <laughs> they have removed the colon completely. And yeah, that's that does confusing. Because Love actually toyed with a comma at one point and then abandoned it. Although, unfortunately, no, two weeks' actually. notice never toyed with an apostrophe, which is insane. Which is upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and who did frame Roger Rabbit? No, who framed Roger Rabbit? It's not even a question. No, Doctor it's who, who framed, framed Roger, Roger Rabbit? Rabbit? And yeah. I don't understand why aggressive. the who did that. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. Well, you'll, you'll get this uh, You'll get this a lot. He's just uh, the Doctor. So... Police Academy, for example, yeah. they abandoned the the numerical system when they got to was a seven. So it's Police Academy six, City Under Siege, yeah. but it's Police Academy Mission to Moscow. Yeah. By seven. Yeah. They dropped the seven. The shame, they were so, the they were so ashamed in. of it. Yeah, the well, shame but then in. I mean, again, if you are that ashamed, maybe 
Would the world be no, so no, no. much worse off without Mission See, Impossible? See, Helen, I know you've got your little soapbox and you yeah, like people to make original films, but I, I want all sequels all the time. <laughs> I feel like Thank that's you very much really indeed. disrespectful to the Airbud franchise. <laughs> it is. One's through 12. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I, I'd like They're to apologize. They're playing volleyball now, damn it. I'd like to apologize See, personally to Airbud. I, I, I would like to call out Chad Stahelski a little bit, and I know that's a very risky thing to well, do at the best really of times. Really? He, he can fly. I mean, the he man could end you. Yeah, he could. It would by looking at me down a phone. But, like, I. I enjoy the simplicity of John Wick, John Wick chapter two, John Wick chapter three. Yeah. Yeah. But then John you whack Wick. in a parabellum for no reason whatsoever and it fucks the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, just parabellum, right? And yeah. then back to chapter, chapter, four, chapter, chapter four. Why chapter, have the parabellum? Chapter four was meant to have another subtitle and they just decided not City to bother. Under Siege. Yeah. Yeah. City Under Siege. <laughs> John Wick, Mission to Moscow. Tricky one too. Birds of Prey the and the Fantabulous. Oh, Fantabulous. Yeah. They were in oh. on that joke so that's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but also were they and also was it a good idea anyway? Well, I remember just, after the opening weekend they dropped the Emancipation of the One Fantabulous which yeah. I think is a great Mariah Carey reference. However, Feel like it's that a does not Mariah Carey reference. I yeah. didn't even know that. Uh, the Emancipation of Mimi. Come on, come what on. What are you talking about? Mimi, being Mimi. Of you know yes, the right. okay. Uh, just to make clear, you know the way you are about Taylor Swift, right? This about Mariah oh, Carey. I see. Mm. My first Mar- tattoo was a Mariah Carey tattoo. Was it? Mel? Underage, no regrets. <laughs> Is that what the tattoo says? <laughs> no, <laughs> underage, no regrets. That oh, would be God. a very that would be very promo tattoo. I think perhaps. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Tough. <laughs> Jesus Extremely tough. I think oh. Chris has got his how the fuck am I going to edit this face on? <laughs> uh, oh, cut a, that part out. At this point, embrace, 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 embrace the chaos. What will Mendo do? What will Mendo do? Um, all right. Yeah. What if, um, yeah. Okay, let's try and get back to the question, <laughs> shall we? What if we remove what the underrated all together? Well, the MCU is a bit skew-if as well, isn't it? Because it was Iron Man, then yeah. Iron Man 2, then Iron Man 3. Then they decided the Fancy Dan titles would be much, much better. And I prefer that that naming strategy, to be honest. Which one, the numbers or the, the fancy, fancy ones? No, the Fancy Dan. But the problem yeah, with the Fancy Dan is that it becomes hard at a certain point to remember which one comes first. Yes. yes. So that could be a bit, bit of a problem. Yes. Um, you know... But then since you have to watch the entire MCU in order, the nomenclature doesn't really help you anyway. So. No, true. But there'll be some people, for example, let's go back to the Planet of the Apes uh, franchise. So this was in the 1970s. There are four sequels. Planet of the Apes, you get that for your starter. That's fine. <laughs> but what comes next? I don't know or care. Is it Return to the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> it is not. Damn it. it Son of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Revenge of Revenge the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're all wrong and idiots, quite frankly. Uh, it is Beneath... The Planet of the Apes. Oh, Apes. you said that earlier. I did, actually. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Planet of the Apes, Battle of the Five Armies. Escaped <laughs> from the Planet of the Apes. That's hurtful. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Right. And then Battle for but the Planet of the, the Apes. But how can the Conquest come before the Battle? Yeah. Come on. It's like, I don't understand because a rise comes before a dawn. It's, yeah. just, it's all nonsense. Where's the nap during the Planet of the Apes? It's no rest. It's yeah. all just work, work, work. Grind culture, burnout culture on this Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mendo. <laughs> Beneath the planet of the Mendos. Um, yeah. So, what is your favourite? Are you going you straight, straight numerals? And if numerals, Roman numerals. I like a Roman numeral. You like it a Roman numeral. Gravitas. Yeah. 
<laughs> but however, however, like one of my big, big, big bugbears is is retconning titles. So mm. anyone who calls Star Wars a New Hope can fuck off. Just oh. absolutely wow. no way. And anyone who calls Raiders of the Lost Ark oh, no, Indiana that's... Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark no. can hundred no, percent. No one does. I feel, fuck like, off. I feel like what you're doing there is compa- is comparing a misdemeanor and an outright <laughs> felony. Okay. How do you feel about Edge of Tomorrow slash Live Die Repeat? I, I just all you need is kill. I'm just going to call it that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. The title it was never called. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the source material. But yeah, yeah. no, I that, that that was wild. But to take the tagline mm. of a film and make mm. it the title just for DVD without, to the best of my knowledge, consulting the director is mad. Nuts. Crazy. Yeah. I'm all for numbers. I'm all for numbers. I um, like a descriptor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let a me know if there's going to be some love and some thunder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Let me know if there's going to be a winter soldier. I need to around that. Yeah. Not a summer soldier. But I think the inconsistency of the of the Iron Man franchise really bums me out. Not the inconsistency of the movies themselves, because obviously, as we know, Iron Man three is possibly the greatest MCU movie. But uh, the inconsistency of the of the naming strategy—it just doesn't—it doesn't—it doesn't chime with Thor: The Dark World. Thor: The Dark World comes out the same year as Iron Man three. What are you doing? What the mm. fuck are you doing? Sort it out, Feige. And only one of them has Rebecca Hall. True. Oh, yeah. The goat. <laughs> the goat. <laughs> or- the goats weren't until Love and Thunder. Hey. <laughs> Insert um, scream here, please. Would the Carry On series be more um, universally beloved if every episode had been just called Carry On Sergeant 2 or Carry On Sergeant 12? <laughs> but like that one, oh, come on, that makes a lot more, that, that one, the naming convention is perfect. Star Trek abandoned the numbers after six. Yeah, well, but it's it? a different, it's a different ship, isn't yeah, it? It's you can a get different away with bunch that. of people. You can, you can totally get... do but that. But again, oh, I quite she's like, getting mad. it's Star Trek <laughs> numeral colon subtitle. Yeah. There's a purity to that. And then a next gen crew come in, it all goes to shit. Yeah. So the answer to the question, which is your, your the best or worst naming conventions is yes. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Correct. The you one are that correct. The works mm. is the best and the one that frustrates us is the worst. There we go. Uh, all right. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I am, yes, Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. I don't care what you say, Musk. Uh, uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs. <laughs> Use your one DM a month to slide into my DMs. Uh, you can reply to any of my panicked shout-outs, or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Shall we have a guest? Yes. Apart from Maria, obviously. That's okay. Should we, we have can a guest? Have more. We can have more guests. Uh, who do you want? Do you want Antoine Fuqua or Ira Sachs? Anton. Antoine. Okay. The legend. A mini goat. He is a mini goat. I love this man. Um, Antoine Fuqua returns triumphantly to the podcast once again. It's what, his fifth go? Sixth go? I don't know. He just can't get enough. Uh, he is back, back, back. And so is Robert McCall. So is Denzel Washington as Robert McCall in the Equalizer 3 in which he travels to, it could be Australia, it could be Italy, it's hard to tell, <laughs> and, um, and equalizes. Shall we say? That's pretty much, that's pretty I mean, much I, it. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. Yeah, so, he yeah. equalizes. He, he smokes some fools. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Old Denzel Washdog. Yes, he has, he has some, some, some coffee. He eats some pasta. And then he smokes some fools. It's a lovely time in Italy. It's a lovely, lovely time in Italy. Uh, fools, of course, being the Italian slang for cigarettes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I caught up with Antoine Fuqua last night, as a matter of fact, on Zoom. And uh, there's no spoilers in this necessarily, but you might want to wait until you've seen the film before you come back and listen to this, because we do get into it a little bit in terms of, you know, 
plot motivations and character and stuff like that. So, uh, but it's a fun interview. I always have a blast talking to Antoine Foucault, possibly the sweariest guest we've ever had on the Empire Podcast, and I Ooh. absolutely fucking love that. So I'm talking about Mini Goat. Mini Goat. Mini Goat. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the director of The Equalizer 3, Mr. Antoine Foucault. How are you, sir? I'm well, buddy. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I have to say, okay, first things first. I may be completely barking up the wrong tree with this one, but was watching the Equalizer 3 today, having an absolute blast. There's a point where Denzel, as Robert McCall, has two guns, and he bangs them together in a manner that seemed reminiscent of Alonso in Training Day. Yeah, there's a little Alonso still in there, man. <laughs> <laughs> that monster, that monster is still in there, just sort of, you know, lurking to come out. <laughs> that is maybe the scariest proposition in cinema. Robert Bacall mixed with Alonzo Harris. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous mix right there, man. Because I know you've been saying you've been saying on uh, some of the, uh, the the press tour that you've been doing, some of the interviews you've been doing that you know you've been you've been thinking about the possibility of maybe an Equalizer prequel, maybe with John David Washington as a young Robert McCall. How cool would that be? That would be very, very cool. I, would be, I can see a kind of Training Day-esque movie where he is... Maybe he's the Ethan Hawke role and he's he's in with some gnarly motherfucker who's... who's... Hey, why not? <laughs> right? Just, just flip the whole fucking script. <laughs> Go for broke. <laughs> Precisely. A guy who teaches him all the badass shit that he does across all three films. That would be... That would be a yeah. hell of a thing. That would be a hell of a thing. Um, really? How cool would that be, man? That would be very cool. That would be very, be very cool. excited about that idea, by the way. <laughs> I'd be called Sony as soon as I get off the phone with you. <laughs> all, all I want, Antoine, is, is 10%. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's <laughs> all Sony, man. They got it. They got it. They got, they got all the cash. Just just can't do anything about it for the time being. But uh, but yeah, if that happens. But the, uh, but the training day homage, was that something that you and Denzel talked about? No, 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 we never talked about it. It just kind of came out, you know. I saw it too. It just kind of came out of the character, man. You know, listen, Alonzo is, I mean, he's not, but Denzel is Alonzo and Alonzo is Denzel. It can never part ways, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it happens. Absolutely, it happens. Uh, it must be an interesting thing. So obviously the first time you and Denzel work together, he wins an Oscar, which, yeah. is, which ain't bad. Uh, so... Does that give you more or less sway with him as a director whenever you're working with him again? If you have if you have a crazy idea that he's maybe on the fence about and you go, uh, I'm the guy who directed you to an Oscar, so you gotta listen to me. Well, I don't say it that way, but I did get him on a horse. <laughs> that wasn't an easy task at all. He wasn't feeling that in the beginning. You know, that was some work right there, man. He may have considered, all right, I'll do it for you since we got an Oscar. But, you know, it wasn't like an immediate yes. <laughs> so he 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 thought, okay, I'm going to do a Western, but I won't get on a horse. Is that what he was thinking? No, 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 not even the Western. I had to sit down and have lunch with him and talk to him about that whole thing. You know, I was like, uh, so I'm uh, considering doing this uh, Magnificent Seven and I'd love to see you on a horse, D. I had to describe it to him with the sun coming up and the horse coming over the sand dunes. And he's looking at me like, are you fucking, are you fucking idiot? I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, 
it was an uncomfortable lunch for a while because Denzel could just sit there and look at you and you're just sinking in your seat like and you're pitching, you know, pitching. Yeah. And you got the guns. This is all in black. And he's just looking at me. <laughs> you know, by the end of the lunch, I'm thinking, I'm fucked. He's not doing this. But he was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> that was it. He just capitulated at the end. Well, he just, he, Denzel, he thinks while you're talking. You're talking, he's thinking. But you can't tell. He just got this fucking poker face, you know? And I'm like, shit, he's not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that is that the same sort of technique you employed then? Because uh, he had never famously ever done a sequel until The Equalizer 2. And he's never done a threequel before The Equalizer 3. Now, neither of you, of course. Mm. Was that part of the conversations you had? This is... This is new. This is that's return to a character. Let's give it another crack. Let's let's have let's have some fun and see where we can stretch this thing. You know, Denzel made that decision himself, of course. You know what he wants to do and not do, and then he would call me and we talked about it. it. It was just Robert McCall is such a complex character. He's got a lot of layers and things we wanted to explore and um, things we hinted at and didn't touch on. We sort of led you there. The wife, his past with Susan, how that all come about, and so I, I think. Um, for me, I, there was so much more I want to explore with him. And I think for, for Denzel to want to do it again, he, he must have really felt something about this character, you know, for him. Uh, and I, and I, and I, uh, I got to believe that he's going to miss Robert McCall as much as I am. There's something really fascinating, I think, about his morality. Yeah, I think people come to these movies to see Denzel kick ass and, and, and to see him deliver amazing tough guy dialogue as well but there's there's also this incredible kind of balance to the character there's a there's a a line early on where one of the characters says to him i don't want to give too much away but you know are you a good guy or a bad guy essentially are you a good man or a bad man Mm -hmm. and robert mccall doesn't know and you have this interesting balance of he's this guy who is capable of these monstrous monstrous acts and yet Mm -hmm. he's also capable of the greatest generosity and I imagine that was something that appealed to Denzel, and I imagine that was something that appealed to you also. Yeah, it certainly appealed to me. I'm sure it did to, to Denzel. We talked a lot about that. You know, the, you know, guys that start to enjoy violence like too much. I mean, where they get fucking, they get aroused by it, right? And that's where it gets really dangerous because even if you're doing it for the right reasons. Once you start to enjoy the violence, are you doing it for the right reasons or are you doing it for your own pleasure? And once you start doing it for your own pleasure, you're kind of stepping on, you're starting to go over that line onto the bad side a bit. And so he's struggling with some, some internal moral dilemma about is he, is he, is he enjoying the violence, mm. right? Mm. That's part of his struggle, the internal struggle of, of McCall. Well, I think that plays into something that I, I've, I've noticed about all three Equalizer movies and actually pretty much every action film you've made, um, which is that they're all R-rated. They're all, they don't shy away from gore. There is, there is an opening sequence of this film. uh, And in fact, the sequence later on, again, I don't want to, you know, get into spoilers, but the opening sequence of this film is basically guiding you through a crime scene and the aftermath of a crime scene and some horrible, horrible acts have been perpetrated. And there's a there's a moment towards the end, and and in fact, I guess the the end of the first Equalizer film, where Denzel is pretty much like a Michael Myers type character. It's mm. like a horror film, but you're rooting for the the bad guy, in a way. Yeah. And yeah. you don't yeah. shy away from the violence. And I think that uh, my thesis is a part of that is to kind of 
remind the audience that this is that there's some horrible shit going on here and, and don't don't root too heavily for this guy. Yeah. I mean, violence is ugly. Yeah. Right. And brutal. And there's no fucking around. Like there's no such thing as a fair fight. Right. You know, it's like everything's a weapon. And, you know, we have we have those sort of watchdogs, even in our military, special forces, Navy SEALs, people that when they come after you, it's not to come and just fucking put handcuffs on you. They're coming to put you in a body bag. Yeah. Right. And so that for me is a message of sometimes there's a, we need a monster to deal with other monsters, you know, and that's what it's about. But <clears throat> there is a moral dilemma that they all deal with those type of guys. And that's why it's so hard to walk in the real world sometime when they come from that world into our world where we walk around and fucking flip flops and coffee and Starbucks and shit. Right. These motherfuckers just came from like, ripping somebody up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they come back to this world. So that's a balance, man. And so I like to give it to you. If you want, if you're going to see it, you're going to see the monster. Take out other monsters. Yeah. But that's what it takes to deal with it. Absolutely. And and the counterbalance, of course, as well, is that, you know, we know why he's doing it. We know who he's doing it for as well. And the, the change of setting and the, the the sort of raft of new characters you introduce in this Italian town that that McCall finds himself in, mm. that must have been really interesting. I, I imagine there was a lot of stuff you were just shooting a lot of stuff to try and you know find characters that he had an affinity with, or did you and Richard Wink kind of zero in on the characters you wanted to develop right from the off? Yeah, you know, Richard wrote most of those characters in the script yeah. from the. From the- yeah, those those are all the definitive characters. But I was uh, when I got to that town and I met those people, those faces, then I would incorporate them into scenes because even when you see them, they're so authentic. You can you can kind of feel the warmth and the and the reality of these people. The old lady walking down the steps or something like those are real people who live there that I would just incorporate and, and recruit them into the movie. You know what I mean? So you can feel for them. Just because you you could tell they're real, you know they're not actors. That's amazing. Well, what about the guy who? <laughs> spoiler alert: <laughs> who sells Dantel his cap, his hat, his brother? Uh, was he a, an actor or was he? Oh a, no, he's an actor. No, he's an, he's actor. an actor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an actor. Yeah. Because even so, I was I was watching this guy do the scene with with Dantel where he's trying to sell Robert McCall his this shirt and hat, uh, which becomes a kind of accidentally iconic hat <laughs> towards as the movie goes on. And mm-hmm. I was just watching this guy going, this must be the joy of his life. He gets to do a scene with Denzel Washington and he gets to actually strut his stuff in this yeah. scene and play yeah. off Denzel. I mean, it must have been just joyful watching yeah. these actors do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a great character actor. Most of those guys are character actors in Italy. You know, they don't get a chance to work with movie stars. And here he is, like, in the scene with Denzel, you know, and even the guy in the uh, fish shop, you know, Angelo. You know, they're, they're, they're actors, but they're, they're normally like soap opera actors, some TV actors, you know, in Italy. They don't, they don't work with movie stars like that. And here they are getting to have scenes with Denzel, you know. So it was like pretty cool to watch that, you know. <laughs> One element I don't think we've ever really talked about in these movies uh, is is Richard. It's Richard Bank, the, the mm-hmm. writer. He's written all three, yeah. which is unusual yeah. for a trilogy like this that, you know, you, you keep the writer around. Uh, yeah, well. you know, I, you know. We had this conversation in the first one. At one point, you know, it was just a discussion of do we bring people in to do some polishing, just a fresh eye. I, I like working with just the same writer. I love Richard. 
We get along really well. We have fun together. He's a friend. And I think it, it makes it consistent. You know, I believe when a writer creates something, he knows it better than anybody. You know, so when a director gets involved, when you start to bring, I bring what I bring to it, I rely on him as well to keep consistency, you know, with the character. And so I think it's important to do that. Hollywood should do more of that. Try to keep the original writers on the script. Uh, they know it better than anybody. Absolutely. But they get jettisoned by the time there's part two, part three, part four. It's like, yeah, thank you for the original idea, but we don't need you anymore. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, who knows why that happens if, if the writer decides he wants to move on or what it is. But I think it's better if it can be consistent. Uh, and I think the audience can see the consistency in it. So how does it work then? Because I, I guess you and, and, and Denzel and, and Richard see yourselves as the kind of the three fathers of Robert McCall in a way. Do, yeah, you, yeah. do you sit down with him and talk about Richard, that is? Do you sit down and go, okay, here's what we're thinking broad strokes for Equalizer 3. We're thinking Italy. We're thinking different milieu. We're thinking different moral challenge for, for Robert McCall. I go away and I won't see you for six weeks. Is that how it yeah. works? It's me, Richard Denzel, Todd Black, and Jason Blumenthal, the producers. We all get together, man, and sit. We just talk. We have lunch. We go through it all, make notes. We discuss Robert's character and things. You know, just general. We do it a few times, and then Richard will go off and write. And normally he'll reach out to me, and he's got thoughts or ideas, and we kick it around a little bit. And he'll go back into his, you know, his lab until he's got something that's fulfilled. And then we'll look at it and I'll say, okay, great. And then Todd will read it and then we send it to Denzel. And then that's how we get into the weeds of it once uh, once we give it to him. Whose idea was Italy? Uh, I believe it was my idea initially because Denzel loves Italy. I, was, I, I always wanted to take Denzel International, just in general, just because I've worked with him so much. I was, I was with Denzel promoting something. I can't remember. Maybe it's Equalizer 1. And we were in this place in Italy, in Rome, and we walked outside. And I'm telling you, man, it was like a rock concert. So many people came. I, it was so crowded. It was kind of scary. I started backing away saying, just get me the fuck out of here, man. Because, you know, they were all, and he was signing autographs. And, and I was just like, what the fuck? But from a distance, I remember looking at it going, and yeah, of course, Denzel's an international movie star. How, how cool would it be to be in Italy, which is one of his favorite places that he always goes? He's been going there since his kids were little. And so I remember mentioning it to uh, Todd Black and Richard, uh, and uh, they both loved the idea. And that's where it kind of sparked, I believe. But yeah. Was it always meant to be in that town, Altamonte? Uh, no, it was just Italy at first, in general. And then um, Richard did some homework on his own, and uh, he wrote uh, Altamonte. And we scouted Puglia, uh, all parts of Italy. And then when I went back to the Amalfi Coast, I, I went to uh, um, Atrani is the name of the real place. And I remember this small little fisherman town that I saw when I was out in the Mediterranean one day. It was like going back in time. And so we went to that location. I was just like, man, this is it. It was like, it was just sitting right there, man. Guys out there fishing, people sitting around in espressos. The pace was like slow as fuck. You know, it was like, this is it, man, you know. So that's how that all came about. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you then is, you, you've said it yourself that this is, you know, it's going to be hard to say goodbye to Robert McCall, that this has been billed as the final chapter. Um, without giving anything away, 
the door is open, I would say, for further adventures. You know, so is that something that is is Denzel not necessarily, you know, he doesn't want to climb up those steps anymore is, is basically what I'm saying. Um, neither one of us is going up those steps. <laughs> Trust me when I tell you that shit. <laughs> Listen, we were both sitting around exchanging ice packs, knees swollen, fucking hurting, man. That's, those, that's a lot of steps. Listen, I can't speak for Denzel Washington for sure. Um, my conversations with Denzel is this is it. Um, I feel like this is it. But you never speaking, you know, absolutes and finalities. I, you know, who knows, man? If I'm blessed and lucky that we do another one, great. But I don't think so. If you could persuade Denzel Washington to get on a horse, Antoine Foucault, you can do anything. You might be right about that. You might be right about that. Because <laughs> that wasn't easy. <laughs> but could you imagine me going back? All right, Denzel. Equalizer four. He might just get up and walk away from the table this time. <laughs> you can just see me following him like on his way to his car. No, no, D, listen, here's what's gonna happen. Listen, imagine this. You know, <laughs> you're off the coast, you know, you're you're in you're in Spain. <laughs> you don't like Spain? Okay, how about we do it over here? We're in Paris. <laughs> how about the Maldives? You fancy the Maldives? Right, exactly, you know. As he's getting in his car, pulling off, you know. No, oh, man. I don't know about that one. <laughs> oh, I can see it. I can see it. Or if not, you've got the prequel idea. Uh, but Antoine, if you do it, I want 10%. I, I want in. That's that's all hey, I'm man. saying. Hey, man. Sony's right there, man. Just in Culver City. Give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him a call. I'll, I'll, I'll do that immediately. Thanks so much indeed for your time. Hey, man, be well, man. Be safe. Okay. That was Antoine motherfucking Fuqua. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about the Equalizer 3 later on in the show. Right now, it is time to talk about this week's movie news. What has been happening? Everyone gets their phones out. Oh, <laughs> Google's, Google's been, movie news. Um, <laughs> updates. Strike, still happening. Yeah. yeah. Work, still fucked. Yeah. I've been... And that's you, news. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know if we can say, but you've been, you've been in some writer's rooms, right? So you yeah. know what it's like out there. It's crazy. Yeah, right? it's really tough. It's really tough. I think it's also really... Uh, it was really interesting listening to your Harrison Dickinson interview. Harrison Dickinson? Uh, Hazo Dicko. Hazo Dicko. <laughs> he'd, just, he'd just be dicky, I reckon. Um, but it was really interesting listening to that chat about the things that he could and couldn't chat about because the rules are so tricky if you're based in Australia and you're based in the UK and how that works with your different guilds and which guilds intersect and which guilds overlap and what things you can work on and can't work on. But... It's brutal out there, man, mm-hmm. to quote Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> it's hard out here, even if you're not a pimp, as, yeah. as far as mm. I understand. Um, it's it's a tough time. Has anything happened? Has there been any moves whatsoever to, to end this no counter, horror show? No counter, no counter, no counter. No counter, no counter. They should the... have a dance-off. They should have a dance-off. To resolve the situation. They should choose. Okay. Does that work out in more again. rights for us or less? Because I kind of, I feel like the stakes might be too high. I don't know. Although I've Channing seen... Tatum would have a better shot than I think. Yeah. He, Maybe te- Bob he technically Bob. is part of the WGA, right? Because he wrote Magic Mike, right? Uh-huh. So percent Yeah, he's yeah, like, okay. Bob Iger. Okay. So dance what off. you're saying is, look, this is all coming to me now. So what you're saying is each side appoints a champion. A champion, yes. yeah. Mm. So in this dance-off, the champion for the WGA and SAG is Channing, Channing Tatum. Tatum. Channum. And on Channum. the other side, 
Bavaya. Is Ted Sarandos. <laughs> Ted Sarandos. You know, this you don't unfortunately, know. we want to pick someone know. who has the worst hips because I feel like that's going to be their downfall. Well, that rules you know? our Shakira. So what do you think? Iger? Because her hips That's don't what I'm lie. saying. Iger. Iger. Yeah. Okay. Iger. So he's like a body popping master for all you know. No, he can't dagger. He's I don't out. know. I'd be worried about the Iger sanction. Oh. <laughs> Ted, what of his names? Ted Sarandance, and then he like suddenly busts out the moves like he's been on Strictly. Yeah, you don't what, want that. I think that Chatham can take him. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Mm. If, All right. If he okay. can take Selma Hayek against a glass wall in Magic Mike Three, then I feel like he can take one of the. CEOs. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> you have you not harder. seen Magic Mike 3, The Last Dance? I have not seen Magic Mike, The it's Last Dance, but it's, it's shot to what the top of my view. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right. So, I know you all listen to this. So, Sarandos, three o'clock, mm. car park around the back of Asda. We will have Channing Tatum. <laughs> he will be wearing a bow. Mm. We will not deliver him unto you. And uh, and let the dance off commence. And if that doesn't work, then you can beach him off instead. Yeah. Yes. Let us work yeah. your flogs. I would absolutely. I'd beach Bob Iger off right now. Anywho, not Anywho. touching it. Um, no. Nope. <laughs> uh. That's what he said. Anyway, move on. There hasn't been a lot of other news. Uh, I did notice, however, that the uh, Apple has formally announced that they will definitely open Killers of the Flower Moon properly mm. in a lot of cinemas on October 20th. So it's not going to be one of these get out of the cinema within three days or you've missed it and you have to watch it online. It's very much, you know, we are going to support this and put it in cinemas. So they clearly think they've got a best picture on their hands. And let's be honest, given how many films look like they're hmm. going to be coming out over the mm. next few months, that's a good bet. They dropped a whole bunch of new posters as well. Mm. They're going pretty hard on the digital campaign in lieu of being able to have any stars out promoting it. Yep. Mm. So, but exciting. At least we're getting to see it. At least we're getting to see it on the big screen. Yeah. Um, and that is phenomenal news for the new, obviously, Martin Scorsese mm -hmm. film. You, you all know what I'm talking about. It was at Cannes. Yeah. You know, Leo's in it. Bob's yeah. in it. <laughs> Leo's. That's the one. That's the you one. People are excited, it. though. I think it really yeah. does show the vacuum in the discourse at the moment. Like the new, the updated trailer, trailer that has the hallucination song playing underneath that the action scored to. It pops up on Twitter like every second or third week with mm. Killers of the Flower Moon trending. Like people really anticipating this film in a way that I think is really interesting and people are really keen to talk about things like land rights and sovereignty issues. It feels like a very punctual time for it to be coming out. So I'm glad it's not moved. Yeah. The sandworms, you know, like I think oh. that can, that can play that? when it plays. <laughs> that's triggering. That's, to be fair, we should. It's Obviously, tough. we have not mentioned it on the podcast yet to because do. it was, it was a about break to, last yeah. Friday. Sorry, yes. sorry. Oh, we did. Well, no, we did. We did a drop-in. We did a drop-in, drop right. What I was about to mention is the fact that, of course, it is the cover of the new Empire magazine, which is now out as you listen it to this. Out. And I got my subscribers cover through the post this morning and it is a thing of beauty. Wow. It is a thing of beauty. The cover is great. I love the cover. I love the subscribers cover. I love the newsstand covers as well. Mm -hmm. Hang on, is today a new Empire Day? Today is, well, yesterday was New Empire Day as this goes out. But tomorrow is New Empire Day, technically, because we're recording this on Wednesday. We this are. This is very confusing. Yes, it's it's, tem it's a temporal paradox. In lieu of any <laughs> proper movie news, although there are a couple of trailers I wanted to talk about, uh, shall we plug the magazine? Let's Real do quick, it, yeah. yeah. So, what's on the cover? Dune. Oh God! You asked for that. You literally you did asked ask for that. that. I did. Yes. Oh, eight God. pages of me Dune splaining. Oh Jesus! Oh, it's extraordinary. Christ. Look, the this is meant to be a out. selling yeah. point. I'm trying to sell it to people. Can so they open. Can buy it. Sandworms everywhere. Mm. Oh no. Yeah. 
It was uh, how big was the can? Uh, it Jesus. was a big can full of worms. Uh, I, honestly, I loved it. Spent more time with Denis Villeneuve than really he was entirely comfortable with. Uh, talked an awful lot about this film and the film to come. <gasps> uh, Dune Part Three. Uh, um, yeah, a good Tokyo time was had. Indeed, that's the official title. Mm. Uh, a good time was had by all, by which I mean me. Is there anything else in the magazine? Not really. No, it's just just all Dune, cover to cover Dune. It feels very self-serving to your agenda, but... Yeah, I think so. Actually, there is a second Dune feature. There is a <laughs> retrospective look at David Lynch's Dune in there as well. If my Dune feature wasn't enough, oh there is a God. second Dune feature about the other Dune. There is a second Dune feature! <laughs> I was just about to get out of my mind! Yes. Tough. Wow. A real must-buy. It's on sale right now and all. Good, Good and evil news agents. <laughs> uh, is there anything else in there, Helen? Yes, there is, I was just watching the killer trailer. Why are you making me go back to the open the other thingy? Oh. Speaking of posters, how beautiful is that killer hand-painted poster? Bring mm. that art form back. That's very nice. Very nice. Uh, David Fincher's The Killer, which is not a remake of the John Woo movie, but an adaptation of a graphic novel. Uh, and that is that is hit. And I regret it watching the trailer because I think it gives a lot of stuff away, even though it's like just a... a, a it's s- very stressful. ...series of unconnected mm. images. It's a very stressful trailer. And like all time. of David Finch's other well, chill, relaxing... From what I understand from watching this trailer, Michael Fassbender... Fassbender? Michael, <laughs> Michael Fassbender. Fassy? Yes, Fassy, Fassy B. Fassy B is Bendo. a hitman in Ibiza. <laughs> that is my understanding from watching the trailer. Okay, right. He's got banging tunes. Because he's got Andra, hasn't he? It's quite a, a bucket hat. Yeah, is that, bucket is that hat, it? Classic. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But it's just, it's, there's a very thumping, pulsating soundtrack, which I found very stressful. The words thumping and pulsating in, in, in <laughs> close proximity to Michael Fassbender <laughs> bring back all kinds of shame, shame memories. memories. Yes. <laughs> I say. Um, no, we, that's, yeah. Did you want what was in the magazine? Or yeah, sure, why not? Okay, sure. Because the creator's there. Like yes, the actual that creator. I'm properly excited but no, about. Yes, looks the, amazing. The Gareth Edwards film um, mm. uh, looks looks beautiful, and we've got him Australia. talking us through that. Yeah, and um, Ken Loach <laughs> is there talking about the old oak, and we've also got a horror preview, uh-huh. uh, looking ahead to you know yes. spooky season, yes. your your native season, my Maria, favorite. That's my time to shine. Horror. Yeah. <laughs> is that what we go with? In Australia, yeah, it's horror. Yeah, okay. So we've got The Exorcist Believer and David Gordon Green talking about that and Five Nights at Freddy's Ooh. and Saw X. There's another series with complicated naming, I think. Yes. Oh, is this the 10th Saw? It is the 10th Saw. So it's not just a... And do you include Jigsaw in that or do you consider that? You do, you yeah. do. So that... Mm. So that is what and was Spiral it? Yeah. as well. Spiral yeah. was technically nine. Spiral was nine. So That's yeah. Nine. So we're up to, we're up to we're up to ten now. And this is the return of um, Tobin Bell, right? As, cool. As despite having been killed many times, mm. <laughs> he's back. I think it's a prequel again. I think it's, it's very hard or to he's know. recorded something. Yeah, you know. he usually does. He, <laughs> he usually does. He usually does. You know, he, he puts himself on tape, sends it in. It's fine. Good eye, Chico here. Want to play a game, mate? <laughs> Australian remake. Wow, it's getting the accent. I, I feel like it's getting worse. Is that what's it's, happening? It's getting better. It's getting better. It's 100% getting, better. getting worse. If anything, it's getting one hundo. One mendo getting worse. You've had Lee Winnell and uh, James Wan on the show there. It doesn't sound like that I at have. all. Speaking of Saw. Yeah. The yeah. OG. <laughs> the Godfathers of, I don't know. VHS and mm. Saws, I guess. Yeah. I have very fond memories of them coming in to do a web chat once. Mm. And, oh, yes. And competing with, with each other over who could type the answers to their questions faster. <laughs> it oh, was actually very fun. They have never... very similar energy to the Raka Raka Bros. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like ecstatic to be here. 
big horror nerds, deep Ooh. bank of knowledge. Yes, indeed. Maria, what's your favourite scary movie, to coin a phrase? Of all time? Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. Well, my favourite movie of all time is Alien, but I would guess that V but, is but, more but sci-fi obviously, horror. But it not being as good as Aliens doesn't put you off in any way. Okay. Now I feel like <laughs> we're getting petty. All right. <laughs> no alien. No aliens, babe. Um, it was the originator. But if we're going like purely horror, no like horror slash, mm. probably Scream. Scream or Candyman. Really? Yeah. Which Candyman? The OG. But mm. I do love the... Tony Todd. <laughs> not the Bill Condon one, respectfully. <laughs> um, but I did love the Nia DaCosta, mm. I guess, legacy sequel, if yeah. you will. I thought that was genius. An amazing way to expand upon the mythology that they set up so beautifully in the original, which also, like, is based on a Clive Barker short story that is weirdly weaved really beautifully into the tapestry of the film, even though it's changed from being set in the UK to being mm. set in Chicago. And, yeah, probably Candyman or, or Scream. Scream's a weird one, though, because I feel like unless you saw Scream when it came out, you don't yeah. appreciate it for it, because now it doesn't play the same way it did then. You've got to, you really did ha have to be there. It was the moment, yeah. it was the movement, but also Scream. Scream 2, I think, is so underrated mm -hmm. as a really scrappy, like, hard, like it's an amazing sequel, but what it had to accomplish in a way was almost harder than what Scream had to accomplish mm -hmm. because Scream was such a hit and such a game changer and restarted this whole trend of meta slashes, you know, your urban legend, stuff like that. But, and I know he did last summer as well as being Kevin Williamson, but Scream 2 was such a compelling, good sequel. I don't know if Nev Campbell's ever been hotter or like cooler or more complicated and prickly, except for Skyscraper, obviously. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, cinematic classics. Gaffer tape. Yeah, how about oh. you? What's your favorite? Oh, film. Well, Aliens is yeah. my favorite film, is which it? is clearly why we're not going to get along. Do you know why uh, I once had a bra fitted for me by um, the one who played Vasquez? Jeanette Goldstein, yeah. yes, because she she Has specializes in Jeanette. bras now. This is what she does yep. now. The, the tagline is the alphabet starts at D. Amazing. It was a really Amazing. expensive bra, but like, it was I, I, good. We did, we did a piece kept of magazine. Kept the nogs up, kept it going, it was great. <laughs> that's what you need. Yeah. In fact, that's a line from Aliens. Uh, no, but <laughs> The she, nogs I, come out at night, mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> it won't make any difference. Nogs or norks? Norks. Whatever. Norks. Dealer's okay. choice. No, Norses. Fine. Norses. <laughs> <laughs> this time it's war. <laughs> King of the Nogs. Yeah. I used to live next door to Ron Cobb, who was one of the concept artists on Alien and Aliens. He lived in Australia. He wasn't Australian. He was American, but he um, ended up marrying an Australian. So he lived just down the road and I was like, oh my God, what do you mean the guy who looks like Santa <laughs> Claus you, is Ron Cobb? How have you managed to do this? The, such close proximity to the cast and crew of Aliens well, over the years, like living next door to Ron Cobb. <laughs> Jeanette Goldstein. Well, she's in LA. I was just passing okay, through yeah. and I was like, it would be sick to get like your tits fitted by, you know, Vasquez. By Vasquez. Yeah. I mean, I'd 100% go there for a bra fitting yeah. if I had yeah, the opportunity. 100%. Yeah, 100%. If this is Sigourney why I've been Weaver had a bra <laughs> shop. Yeah, exactly. You could too, as long I as it gets over I a D cup, you're in. Yeah. I'll did Ron, did Ron Cobb witness you cut the head of a brown snake? <laughs> No, but I have a short film called The House That Hungers, which is basically about a house that eats boys. And he he passed away just a few years ago during COVID and I ended up dedicating it to him and had sent it to his wife, Robin, and yeah, they watched it. It was really oh, beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah, but we did all practical effects in that short film. It's kind of like a dedication to him because that was his he used to have these amazing stories about working on the set of Alien and Aliens and things like that. And 
the way that, you know, the chess bursts scene, as everyone knows, they were all crouched under the table and shit like that. Just watching that scene happen. And you remember when like HR guy guy came, got brought to set for the first time and they were like, oh man, who's this, you know, German guy who all dresses black. But it was a super chill dude at the pub and like a great hang. But they were like, what's he going to bring to this? They weren't sure. And he'd been working in this like separate part at Pinewood, working on his thing, but nobody else was allowed to see it. So they all hid in the office until he left for the day. Mm. And then snuck into his workshop to see what he'd been working on and they it had like um like a sheet covering it and they pulled the sheet off and they went like let back and they were like it's terrifying we get it okay we understand why this guy's here and the turtlenecks and the cigarettes and the durries and everything so did they ever have to re- uh, refer hr geiger to hr, HR. No. For, for that <laughs> yeah, i believe in, his name actually stands for human resources <laughs> in the 70s right how good's the hr department do we think yeah. oh very oh very bad very very bad i'm not even sure there was one yeah honest, exactly that's amazing that's absolutely amazing uh we were promoting the magazine but you've heard enough there's, there's good stuff inside really, it the there's loads of good stuff there. inside it there's stuff on Talk To Me uh, yeah. The Eternal uh. Daughter The Marvels you know yeah. and there's good stuff in my section as well but, but honestly who cares <laughs> wow. who cares that's right you're buying it for Dune you're buying you it for Dune you want Dune read Dune that's it you're going to keep rereading it for the next six months yeah because so. James well, will force you to yeah, I've seen him on public transport yeah. force people no, to it's, read this it's true we need something to get us through this difficult time yeah. we so. do very very difficult time indeed uh, anyway real quick a couple of trailers and we did talk a little bit about David Fincher's The Killer uh, starring Michael Fassbender Tilda Swinton's in it as well Arliss Howard uh, decent cast uh, about a, an assassin who is goes on a run or targeted by his organization or something like that. I imagine the idea is that we've seen this plot a million times before, but we've never seen a David Finchard. We've never seen it Andrew Kevin Walkard. There you so go. that's exciting. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see it. But I didn't feel like I got so much from this trailer, really. So. Well, it's got to be something special to get Fassbender off the racetrack, you know? That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's back, back, back in a big way. Yeah. Although he did, of course, do Next Goal Wins for Taika, but that was filmed, I think, I think that 15 was filmed years like, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still out there in Samoa, yeah. as far as I know. But he is doing some other stuff as well, which is nice to see. And it was another trailer, wasn't there, this week? Well, you mentioned racetracks, and oh. there's the trailer for Holy. Ferrari. Yes. As well, which is, of course, the Adam Driver starring Michael Mann directed biopic of Enzo Ferrari who made some cars. Has that, <laughs> <laughs> that got John Bernthal in it? Did I imagine that? Or am I getting it confused with I Ford V Ferrari? Yeah, Ford that's Ferrari. Yeah. Damn. I mean, honestly, it might just both be wishful thinking. Yeah, maybe it does. A bit of mansplaining going on. Uh, I haven't seen the trailer. looks great. Yeah, no, it, it looks, <laughs> no, it does It does genuinely look gorgeous. Um, but it, I mean, I'm, I have, I'm excited to hear another go of Adam Driver's Italian accent. Mm. Oh, hey, yes. uh, Ferrari, yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I drive the car the fastest. Hey, well, Mario did retire recently, so perhaps he's <laughs> taking over. <laughs> <laughs> it's a me, Adam Driver. Chris Pratt, uh, watch your neck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watch out, Mike. Um, let me see. What else is happening? Anything else? Anything else? Honestly, Anything else? Uh, there really isn't very much else happening. Really? Come on. It's not like there's some sort of crippling strike. <laughs> <laughs> Across two separate guilds. Yeah. Potentially like, three. What's going on? Surely there's some British news. Surely Mavis Scullion has been has been cast in the brand new Alan Eggborn. <laughs> there's got to be there's got to be something going on, right? Oh, come on. Is that it? I think that's it. Honestly, yeah. I can't see anything else. I've had a look at, you know, James. Nothing. Places. I have nothing for you. Maria, did you bring any news? <laughs> no, 
I give you nothing. I just brought snake anecdotes, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest snake you've ever seen? Python. Huge carpet python in the ceiling. My grandparents, um, it was like... A carpet python yeah. in the ceiling. Yeah. Did it not understand where it was supposed to be? <laughs> there was carpet upstairs. Yeah, but, you know, but the reason they're in the ceiling is because they eat all the possums. Why are there possums in the ceiling? This feels like the woman is going to fly. You have been to Australia before. I feel like you can answer that question. They go into the ceiling. You guys put us there, okay? To get away from the carpet python. Yeah. Because the carpet python's on the the carpet. So they go, let's go to the ceiling. (laughs) But then the carpet python. But then that's where the aliens are. Nah, carpet python for sure. Because they're like girthy. They're like massive. Really, really big. Not poisonous or anything, but it's just like... On a scale of, of one to Liam. How big are we talking? How girthy are we talking? <laughs> are, we talking? are we talking? Liam Hemsworth here? No, no. no. The, the, the tripod. The tripod. Okay, the arm yeah. bottle, I believe, as Helen Mirren said. Um, the, <laughs> the power of Neeson. Um, like, they're like at least like <laughs> 15 feet. They do have a very particular set of scales. <laughs> oh, that's a banger. That's a banger. That's good. Snaking. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That's really good. Oh, yeah. Tip the bird. That's a cock Oh, God. Oh, just no. high five the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hot in here. Genuinely, it's it hot is. in here. It's, it's not because we're talking about Liam Neeson. It's hot. Um, is the aircon off? I turned it off. off yeah. Why would you turn it off? Because it was freezing when we got here. Yeah, yeah. it was really brisk. Okay. Um, all right. Put it back on and then we can. Uh, I hope somebody makes a snake in poster just for you guys. That would be really beautiful. Snake in. <laughs> a very particular set of scales. Yeah, I want that. And shit. Uh, that would be good. Going and get his little egg in France. Oh, my word. <laughs> Should we have another guest? Oh, please. please. That's a really for the love guest. of God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Chris Hemsworth. You like him. And Pedro Pascal uh-huh. are yep. attached to star in Crime 101, which is an adaptation of a Don Winslow novella uh, and it will be directed by Bart Layton. And um, no deals are in place, but Hemsworth and Pascal showed interest in the project before the start of the strike. So that's exciting. It's a great crime story in the vein of heat. High-level jewel thieves are taking place up and down thefts, presumably, mm. are taking place up and down the Pacific coast and police have linked the thefts to the Colombian cartels. <gasps> Detective Lou Lubisnik has other <laughs> ideas and he zeroes in on one perp, a thief looking for a final score. I'll give you a final score. Mm. Newcastle 1, Liverpool 2. There's a final score. Yeah, okay. Boom. I, this, this, uh, Take this that. Just feels like... news story feels um, a little thin if I'm honest. And very intentionally placed. But also, isn't everything men make inspired by heat in one way or the other? No disrespect to your mutual peoples. <laughs> isn't isn't everything... Michael Mansplaining. Even yeah. things even things made before heat, I believe, were Oof. heavily inspired by, by heat. heat. So I had a dollar for every guy who thought heat was groundbreaking. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I say that as my best friend Blake Howard has one heat minute, which is the podcast that goes oh. through heat minute by minute. Okay. Literally minute heat. by minute. That's yeah. it. It's a lot of episodes. I, I like, do the podcast One Heat Minute Minute, which is I go through the <laughs> podcast One Heat Minute Minute by Minute. You could be on it if that you want could next week. Be, this I am busy that Very week. Chris Nolan core here. We're just getting <laughs> yeah, is, deep yeah. into the times. Week. Just you wait for One Heat Minute Minute Minute. Mm, mm, no. Now we're talking. Should we have guest? Please. I beg you. <laughs> <laughs> Who have we had? Antoine <laughs> Foucault? We have. That means we've got Ira Sachs. Yeah, it does. Ira Sachs, the uh, director of... Love is Strange, which was a lovely movie with Alfred Molina and John Lithgow. It came out about ooh, 10 years ago now. I don't know if you guys saw that one. Uh, Frankie, which came out in 2019. And now he is the writer and director of this week's Passages, which explores a very 
modern love triangle between film director Franz Rogowski, his husband Ben Wishaw, and a school teacher played by Adele Xarchopoulos. And if I've mispronounced that, then I can only apologize. Uh, and it is a very, very thought-provoking and compelling work, and we sent along the equally thought-provoking and compelling Ollie Richards to talk to Ira Sachs on Zoom on Zoom earlier on this week. So here is that conversation. Do please enjoy. Ira Sachs, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Love you to have you here. Nice to be here, Ali. How are you? I'm great. I'm in London. It's grey. It's nice. It's a nice day here. So it's. I like that you call Lon- uh, grey in London a nice day. It means you've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> I feel cosy here in that environment. Good, good. Um, congratulations on the film. Terrific and getting great reviews everywhere. I before when I read this the synopsis to this film, I thought I knew what I was getting to a certain extent. Mm. I read it's about about a male couple in a committed relationship, and then one of them sleeps with a woman. I thought it was going to be a film about you know questioning sexuality, about identity, and it's not that at all. So right. tell me what you wanted to explore with this. Well, that's interesting because I think when I wrote the film as a fifty-seven-year-old gay man, I thought also that there would be really. Uh, an important moment when 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 the lead character who's been with a man his life decides to be with a woman and and in fact all my friends were like no one's going to believe that that's not going to be possible and I said it's going to work it's going to be fine and I think what the film we made identity has disappeared as an issue and I think that's a ge- generational shift in a certain way that the that the the labels that we needed in my, my generation have become less significant and less necessary and so um really it's a it's a it's a film about individuals it's a film about um humans and and how they interact and 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 sort of what they desire and what they're um what they're looking for so it becomes a very uh, in a way a more um essential film about human relationships and uh, set up these characters a little bit for us because they're they're three very different people actually one something i want to ask you about that is that you've got this international cast where you've got ben wishore is british uh adele exarchopoulos is french and franz rogowski is german so mm-hmm. is that significant in it within these characters you know i was just attracted to all three of them and so wanted to make <laughs> them and i felt like they made sense together there wasn't um my my own life looks a bit like that my husband's ecuadorian my co-writer's brazilian my producer's tunisian my editor so i live in a world in new york city um that is multilingual different backgrounds so it feels very familiar to me it doesn't feel um foreign i wrote the film for franz rogowski i uh, he plays a filmmaker um different and like myself and i'd seen him in a film by michael hanukkah called happy end and he does a mm-hmm. karaoke performance of sia chandelier which is extraordinary and kind of singed in my brain and he became a muse for me um to, to create this character ben wishaw i've admired since i saw him and i'm not there the todd haynes film 100 years ago where he played one of two or three uh, one of many bob dylan's and Adele, I, I only recently discovered, I've never seen Blue as a Warmest Color, but I saw her in another French film. And and they all have this kind of immediate, intimate, honest, um, free, and natural quality that I thought would work well together. 
And you mentioned there that uh, Franz is playing a uh, director. So the the central character of this, I don't know if it's unfair to describe him as somewhat narcissistic. Mm. Um, other people's feelings are not uh, primary to him. But yes, you made you made him a uh, movie director. Um, I mean, what is what are you saying about yourself here, Ira? Well, two things. One, I happen to know a lot about what it is to be a movie director because I've been doing that for 30 years. And so it's a, also just a familiar, you know, write what you know. And it's really true. There's there's like an endless um, endless well of 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 resources to to draw upon in order to create authentic moments with these characters. But also I was interested in looking at what, what it is to be a man with power and what are the consequences of that man's actions on other people. And a movie director sort of... Um, you know immediately that they're in a position of authority and you know immediately in this film that that's a place where, uh, because it's the first scene of the film is behind the scenes making a movie and, and you sense that this is a man very comfortable with power mm -hmm. and also not very worried what, what other people think. Okay. Um, and the title I'm interested in passages, why did you call it that? Um, it came to me in a moment, to, and it describes in a way a film of transition, which is what I was looking to make, a film in which in any moment, something might change and and, and everything might be different. Um, I think of it as a series, a film made up of a series of middles. Like there's no beginning and there's no end, but everything is in the middle. And in a way, the audience is thrown into the middle and they have to kind of orient themselves, which which I find is a way of creating intimacy with the audience. They're not given every single detail, but they're giving the details that, that in a way create a sense of authenticity and closeness. So that's the kind of movie I wanted to make. Um, I also wrote it during the during the uh, the pandemic, and so this sense of change was really on my mind. Interesting. And did you did you feel it was very informed by the experience of being locked down? For me, both my hunger to be close to other people was was activated, and the film is very close to to these actors, and I think it's an actor's film. I also was interested um, as a, a man who'd been. In, an active film director for a long time and then suddenly couldn't do what I wanted to do. And the way that that affected me was, was compelling to me, meaning like, why did I expect more? And I mm -hmm. think that's, what's interesting. You could say about Tomas, why does he want more? Why does he always need more? The film is set in Paris. You do not live in Paris, but you did when you were, you were much younger. I believe you lived there when you were 20. And while reading about this, I read that you, uh, in the first three months that you were there, you watched 197 movies in those three months. That is more than two a day. First of all, how? And yeah. B, how did you know it was 197? Do you always keep count? I I do. I don't. Um, well, I keep lists because I like to remember what I've seen. So I, the, the list I've been keeping for the last few years is the list of films that I've um, watched with my kids. My husband and I share two 11-year-old uh, parenting, two 11-year-old wonderful kids with their two moms. So we're we're a four parent home with two children. And and particularly beginning with the lockdown, we started to watch two or three movies a week as a family. So I have a long list of the 275 movies that I've watched with my kids. And and I think to me that 
that's a way of like remembering. I like notes on iPhone. I'm a big notes user. Okay. Well, it didn't exist in the 80s, but I had my own version back then. And for me, that was just a period of, of discovery of this art form cinema that like cha- it changed my life. I, I saw all these films, but I was introduced to people that have become so important to me, including John Cassavetes. I'd never seen a Cassavetes film. Chantal Ackerman, Fassbender, Piala, all these people who have become sort of part of my imagination, I first discovered in Paris. Oh well, so and is that where is that where you started? As in your film education started? Is that where this you're well, watching I, in this concentrated way and making? Yeah, I mean, I think that I became serious about it. Um, I became an aficionado about film, meaning like I wanted to, I wanted to be thorough and I wanted to discover new things, and I still do that. Um, in the seventies, my parents were divorced, and I was this, the the child of a single dad, and like a little a lot of. Uh, people in that situation, movies were a way for my father to spend time with us. So I saw most of the movies of the 1970s in their in their first release, like Dog Day Afternoon and um, The Conversation and um, what, What's Up Doc and uh, a lot of movies that were I saw when I was, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. So I was always raised watching movies. And what do you do with these lists? Have you kept, do you keep them all? Do you refer back to them? You know, I don't. I don't still have that list. It must be in a notebook of 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 the 197 films. But I keep a list on my phone of, and I actually I share the list that I've the movies I've been watching with my kids because I have a whole, um, yeah, I have a, a kind of hopefully non-oppressive, but you can ask my kids pedagogy <laughs> around uh, around like what's possible. I try to give my kids that what I consider the Scorsese film education, meaning what did Scorsese see when he was six and eight and 10 in movie theaters? That's what kids should be watching, meaning any movie that has a good story is good for kids. It doesn't have to be about superheroes or, or, or Mattel dolls. It's not necessary. I mean, that's that's the ultimate film education is if you get the Scorsese or education, you've completed it. Basically, exactly. you've done it, haven't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, and so I, I think that, like, yeah, I mean, I, we're, 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 that's a that's a side story. I'm happy to do a podcast on on cinema and children because I have lots of feelings about it. <laughs> um, but I think, in a way, I trust my kids. Like I try to trust my own audience, meaning I trust that people can follow and be interested in story if the story is compelling and has suspense. And I think of this film as an action film and a suspense film, meaning it's all about bodies moving and it's all about want. And talking about bodies, uh, in in America, this film received an NC-17 rating. Uh, well, actually, I was going to say because of the sex scenes, but they don't tell you. An NC-17 rating means that you can only be seen in very limited cinemas in America. So this went straight to movie in America. Did you have any inkling? Did I expect this? Not at all. Didn't occur to me. Um Luckily, because in a way, I made the film with great liberty and freedom. I made it as I wanted to, and I, and I've been supported by Mubi um, to 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 finish it as I wanted to. So, um, I think I think really, what I, what frightens me because I, I I was fine. I got to make the art I wanted to. Um, is the warning sign that a moment like this gives to other artists and filmmakers, which is to say, if you create images of certain freedom, and if you create images perhaps of two men having um, sexual relationships particularly, then there's a good chance you'll be punished for that. And that punishment is the form of control that the censorship board wants. And the surprising thing is, it's not that the these scenes aren't graphic. We're, I mean, that I, we're not seeing anything in those scenes that I haven't seen you know, in terms of bodies 
it's you know it's a lot of buttocks basically mainly but it's uh, but it's real and it's sort of and it's loving and it seems like two people who know each other's bodies but i don't know that why is that so shocking well i think as you say it's real to me i think the thing that unsettles um uh these unnamed people who 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 make these decisions is that this this one one of the sex scenes and all this are pretty long and meaning like long means they seem real and real mm. seems dangerous because it's better not to be real but the, that's just crazy and you know really the question is not why this movie was given an nc-17 because it's just ugly repressive censorship um it's why does this board still exist mm-hmm. and why that's do you think really it does I've been really trying to figure it out because I assume, you know, follow the money. I'm assume, I assume there has to be some reason in, in connection with capitalism, but I think it's still the control. It's like a lingering control of the Catholic Church and the Christian kind of ethos in America, um, which we're in conflict with in, in all sorts of ways, much more than I am. I mean, we're we're getting, you know, drag queens are being told they can't perform in America. So we're, we, like much of the world, there's like a return to some sort of um, – control that that is seems to be prevalent and and i'm happy my film is a resistance to that control that's what i'll say and what i mean it's not out in the uk yet uh, uh, but it's got an 18 rating here uh, but uh, what did you what reaction have you had from american viewers who've seen it uh yeah i mean the movie's been really beautifully well re- received and you never know when you make a movie it could disappear i mean it's a very personal film it's a very intimate film it's um its grandness is in its um its its execution and also in in the 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 weight and complexity of the characters that these actors deliver and i think those are all things that are so valuable to me and i i find that there's audiences who they're valuable to them as well and you've been making films for, I think, over 25, 25 years now. Yeah. Uh, what have been the major ch- changes, be they good or bad, in that time? Um, I think the biggest change for me has been um, watching what I thought would be sustainable for a while, my generation of filmmakers not be sustainable. So most of, of my fellow filmmakers my age are working in series and working in corporations and are not able to make independent films, which which are more closely aligned with their own personal um, experience. And I think that is a loss. Um, I think what has been a gain is that there are new voices that are being heard and seen. And, and that's um it's it's hard for anybody to stay alive and to keep making these things, but but definitely there's there is some new space being made for non-white filmmakers and black filmmakers and Asian filmmakers and not so much queer filmmakers. I feel like we've lost our space, to be honest. Do you really? What what makes you feel that? Well, just the evidence (laughs) (laughs) meaning empirically i would say that like most of the filmmakers of my generation are either making television or they're making films that are not Mm -hmm. about queer experience so if you look at the todd haynes's of the world and if you look at the gus van zandt's of the world and and you look at luca guadagnino since he made call me by your name you're you're seeing a disappearance of 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 queer centrality to the stories that are being told there's no there's no the characters 
that that are not direct representation of the lives of the artists making those movies. And that's because they want to stay alive. They want to keep making movies. So they've, in a way, had to return to metaphor, queer metaphor, um, almost back to the Rock Hudson kind of days where, where they their, their queerness is seen visibly within within like uh, an allegory of, mm-hmm. of difference or alienation or separation or sensuality. But narratively, queer experience has disappeared. So, I mean, but this, as you talked about with this film, like at, at the beginning, saying that um, it wasn't a film about exploring changing sexuality because people are so much more open to fluidity, it's not as much a discussion. So audiences, certainly younger audiences, would say are much more receptive to stories from you know any anywhere across across the queer spectrum. So I mean you t- you yeah. say it's about staying alive, but why do you think then those stories are not being made as much? Well then you have to look at capitalism and you have to look mm-hmm. at globalization and you have to look at where I mean let's just say where are the films about and about adults. Let's just mm-hmm. be more general. So if adult life doesn't exist in the cinema anymore, um which which in America it's hard to find. Um, we see we see a lot of people, a lot of superheroes, and we see a lot of toys, and we see a lot of IP. And so all of this is actually much more sellable on a global market than things about individuals and difference and and tenderness, right? These yeah. are not things that are so um so, you know, it's it's all about economics. And how, so, how are you able to keep keep going with it? You know, it's all. It I think for for me, I often it's it's individuals who've made my life possible as a filmmaker. Um, it's like certain programmers and certain festivals, for example, have followed and supported my work um, for twenty five years. Um, often queer programmers. Let's mm-hmm. put it. You know, so there's that you've um, uh, a company like Mubi. It's it's like the two people who run acquisitions um kate and kevin who like saw my film and believed that it actually had a market and made that market they made that market for mm-hmm. the film if if movie hadn't purchased the film then it might have been seen as being marginal and 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 ultimately non-existent but 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 you have to have moments in which you interact with gatekeepers who actually open the gates and uh, my producer in France, Saeed Ben Saeed, has 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 like stood alone as someone who wants to find and raise money for my films. There's not ten people. There's one person. So mm-hmm. I think there's always individuals um, who become part of the story. Thank you so much for your time, Iris. Axe. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you, Ali. My Thank pleasure. You. Okay, so that was Iris Sachs, and we will be talking about passages in just two shakes of a brown snake's tail but first it is time to talk about I guess the Equalizer 3 is the big film this week right as we get into the reviews section of the show the return of Robert McCall the return of the Equalizer Hell's Bells you and I saw this together yesterday. We did, and you were just a I Twitter, was a buzz with excitement. I was a flutter. Uh, and it, you know what? I think it lived up to your expectations, really, that this would be, you know... The greatest movie ever made. Greatest movie ever made, return of cinema to its rightful place atop the art pantheon. You know, the whole <laughs> thing. Um, uh, better than Shakespeare were words that literally came out of your mouth. We had this discussion. on one occasion. We had this argument you beforehand. Yeah. Uh, I was saying that the line from The Equalizer 2... The mistake you made was you killed my friend. And 
so I'm going to kill every each and every one of you. And the only disappointment in it for me is that I only get to do it once is better than anything that hack Shakespeare came up mm. with. No, and no, you, don't I'm sorry, no. Out Damn Spot doesn't have what that has. I mean, cry, cry Havoc and Let Loose the Dogs of War, okay. I would say, yeah. like has a I certain amount. No. Anywho. Anyway, you didn't you didn't uh, subscribe to my theory. But... I didn't subscribe to that theory, but I did have a very good time with this film. So, Hooray. Robert McCall, two C's, two L's, four to T, Denzel Washington is back. Are you speaking an iambic pentameter? <laughs> 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 Robert Always, McCall, baby. two C's, two L's, four Denzel Washington for his eyes just glazed over. Sooks! Forsooth he hath cometh. I have hath been possessed <laughs> by Shakespeare. Um, no, so he's uh, he's in Italy uh, as we meet him at the beginning of this film. Oh, just like the Merchant of Venice. Very much like like the Merchant of or Venice. Or the two gentlemen of Verona. The two gentlemen of Verona, like Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. That's what they should so... call Fast Eleven. The eight gentlemen of Corona. <laughs> <gasps> you figured this whole thing out. Anyway. Uh, he's in Italy. He's on holiday. And you know what? He grows, grows to appreciate this small town and its small people with their small problems. Mm. And he thinks, oh, isn't this lovely? And couldn't I be happy here and at peace somehow with the world? But wait! <laughs> You'll never guess. But in this Italian small town near Naples, the mafia has an active presence. I mean, I know you're shocked, but please <laughs> try to control yourselves. It turns out that there are gangsters in this small town who threaten these small people among whom he he finds peace and he finds Sorry, himself... You have definitely gone for Shakespeare. <laughs> and he finds himself having to equalise some shit once again. Um, this time he's uh, in contact with a, with a CIA agent who may be able to help investigate some stuff. Uh, that's Emma Collins, played by Dakota Fanning. Um, but really, it's all about uh, Denzel Washington having espressos and equalising. Yeah. And uh, you've pretty much described the perfect movie, as far as I can see. <laughs> you know, what more do we need? Will there be a fourth? Do you think? Or uh, I, I mean, look, I feel like that it would be uh, revealing too much to <laughs> mm. say uh, if there would be or not. <laughs> but um, but certainly, I don't see any dimin- diminution in the quality of the series. So you know, no, it's they're consistently great. Yeah, and I so. would also like a ranking from each of you of which one is oh. one, two, three. Oh. Okay, I uh, I. I barely remember one. I remember the finale of two, but not a lot of what led up to it. Mm-hmm. And this one is stuck in my head a little bit better so far. Mm. So One you know, was better than two, though, right? I think they're equally... Remember, Chloe Grace Moretz is in the first one she as is, well. She, yeah. she did, which I, I didn't initially remember. And I was like, I thought when I saw the trailer that Dakota Fanning was picking up an earlier character. And that mm. is not what is happening mm. here. Do not make my mistake. And Hayley Bennett as well. She's in the first one. She is, oh, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. the first one. I did not enjoy the second one. Wow! Deep, what have you got against Hurricane? I don't know, but I, didn't, I did not like it. I found the last act just very, very silly. Oh! <gasps> That's crazy. I bet you don't like Deep Blue Sea. I bet you're not I a Deep Blue Sea I love Deep Blue Sea. I love, because also it has the greatest Look, jump scare in the like history. His head is like a Look at that. Deepest, bluest. It's an LL Cool J reference. Let me tell you about ice. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's no ice in this, except maybe in drinks. Um, and around fish. And people get iced. People do get iced. That's beautiful. Yeah. 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 And there is some ice on fish. There is yeah. some ice yeah. on the fish on the fishmonger yeah. stall. The fishmonger is a character who's a thing. Um, I, you know, I had some I had some nits I could pick in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like there were an inordinate number of shots of vehicles driving in formation towards or away from a place. Oh, like, see, there are so many of those shots. I 100% thought you were going to take a very pedantic and specific point of geography here and just, like, kill them for it. I mean, I have some notes about the geography too, but The Trevi Fountain is in a completely different place. Well, no, that's in Rome. We're not in oh, Rome, sorry. James. Apart from a couple of shots. Anyway, <laughs> my all point is... To Rome. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't say Rome. And when in Rome. To Rome. Yeah, okay, but we, we're not Rome. Too many Rome movies this year between Mission Impossible and Fast X. Yeah, nobody... I will say this. Nobody 
drives down the Spanish steps in this movie. Or blows mm. up the Vatican. Mm. Or chases a big ball around the city. <laughs> <laughs> With a very big dog. Oh. Uh, but no, I, so I, I had some, I had some nits like a bit along those lines. But I actually had quite a good time with this and thought it did everything it needed. to I'm do. I'm so jealous that I couldn't make the only screening of this. I so desperately wanted to watch it. I'm really, really in the mood for this film. I'm going to pay and see it on Friday. I'm literally going to go and see it after this recording. This <gasps> we, I would totally come with you yeah. if Helen and I didn't have to go ahead and talk about. Trolls. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you know. It is out. Massive. It trolls. is out today as we record this. It is out two days ago. As you listen to this, if you listen to this on Friday, it's out three days. Ago. You get the message. Um, oh, but yeah, I thought this was. I, I really liked it. I thought it was terrific. Um, I'm very much in the tank for these movies. <laughs> it has to be said. Uh, my ranking is two, three, one. Oh way. wow. Okay, that has me really excited. You think excited. one is the worst? You're just a... No, no, he didn't say no. worst. He, they could all be like nine, Even, nine and a half, ten. They're just all degrees of five stars. Yeah. 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 Leapt immediately to the negative. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Accentuate the positive, man. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Eliminate the negative, latch onto the affirmative, and don't mess with Mr. Inbetween. Uh, uh, I think that this, for a long time, was shaping up to be my favourite in the franchise. I think it's an immensely pleasurable, ultra-violent experience <laughs> for the first... 80 minutes or so uh, I need to see it again because it does something determinately I would say anticlimactic yeah. towards the end and uh, it, 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 you, it, you want a certain thing from these movies and it gives it to you but doesn't really mm. uh, yeah it also does some interesting things structurally it does which would be too spoilerific to talk about but I, there's there's some real kind of Within the, the confines of ex- doing exactly what you expect, it, it has some real innovations. The so, Yes. I enjoyed that. Yeah, there's some risks taken creatively here. It looks beautiful, shot by Robert Richardson. He also shot um, oh, yeah. Emancipation for for Antoine Fuqua last year. And there's some beautiful stuff. There's a, you know, there's a scene where they go to a street market at night in Italy, and it just makes you want to go to Italy. This, this was the, uh, a wonderful advert for going to the town of Altamonte apart from all the the mafia trying mm. to kill everyone every five seconds but the, the town itself looks absolutely amazing that's where they actually shot the movie uh, Denzel is on tremendous form this is their fifth movie together now uh, Antoine Fuqua and Down to Washington Training Day obviously three equalizers and The Magnificent Seven mm. sorely underrated Magnificent I, yeah Seven. no I think it's really really good I was about to mention that <laughs> in chorus in chorus <laughs> James I would also I would also beseech thee if we're going to be Shakespeare and Verily <laughs> to uh, revisiteth uh, the Equalizer 2 because it slaps yeah what's your problem it slaps and bangs I do need I've only watched it once uh, I do need to watch it again I would like to do an, an Equalizer-thon maybe <gasps> I do go one, two, three, and do it mm. that way that might be a weekend well spent. I did it recently when I was preparing because I interviewed uh, Antoine Foucault and Denzel Washington for the magazine and I revisited. I hadn't re- actually revisited the first one for a long, long the time. The one that you thought was better than John Wick. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm with you on that. <gasps> I'm going to be real. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry for inviting her. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> John Wick 2 is better than John Wick 1. Agreed. But Equalizer got consumed by the John Wick mania. Yeah, because John Wick say. was better. I, I will say once again, for the avoidance of doubt, that I was not a fan of John Wick first time I saw it. Uh, the scales. Why do you hate dogs? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the scales have since, because they keep eating my snakes. Uh, the uh, scales have fallen from my eyes since, and I love the John Wick films unreservedly. I also love the Equalizer films mm. unreservedly. Can we not have room for both? No, I think it's a zero sum game. What a beautiful, what a beautiful. And they both sentiment. have Russian baddies in the first one. They do, they? yeah. Yeah. Ultra violence. It's yeah, fantastic. It brings us all together. It, I love it. <laughs> Touch of the old ultra violence. Yeah. Uh, we gave this one three stars. Um, I'm having words with them on Warman, quite frankly. 
it was him. It's still a recommendation. It's still a recommendation. It a recommendation. So. But come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, five stars in for the equalizer <laughs> three. No, we gave it three, but I'd give it. I'd go four uh, easily. I had an absolute blast with it. What else are we going to talk about? Um, I saw Cobweb. I saw Cobweb. Have you seen Cobweb? I know. I haven't, and I'm I dying see, I, to. See, this is the thing. I wanted your input yes, on Cobweb. I know. I was asking. I was like, are there any screenings about town? And yeah. Well, let's, let's tee this one up, shall we? So this is this is Samuel Bowden's film. Uh, it's based on a script by Chris Thomas Devlin, who wrote the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Mm. Uh, and reason I wanted your take on this is because this is one of these films where I feel could be read two ways. This stars Come On, Come On's uh, Woody Norman as Peter. He's a little eight-year-old boy and he hears sounds coming from his wall at night. Carpet python. Yeah, it's a, it is 100% <laughs> a carpet python. You've just ruined the film. That's it. It was a snake in the walls. Uh... He hears, he hears a voice, he, he's getting bullied at school, he's having a bad time, and obviously you hear a strange voice and you go, what do you do? You tell your parents, big mistake, huge. Because his parents are complete lunatics. His parents played brilliantly by Lizzie yeah. Kaplan, who gives good, good sociopath in there. She's very, very good. His dad played by Anthony Starr, who's got big, big Homelander energy in this. Yeah, Kiwi, yeah. Uh, Kiwi. So, yeah, there's a lot going on here. But the thing is, it is so soaked in tropes and cliches that I struggled with it. But it's only as you get towards the latter part of the film that you realise quite how intentional all that is and that it's mm. deliberate. But then it comes back to the age-old age old question that if you're doing something daft but you're doing it knowingly, aren't you still doing something daft? Like, does that make not, it good? Not necessarily. I think there is a bit of a wink in this, but I think, I wonder the if you almost... The wink comes late. Yeah, I think you almost needed it to be maybe a little bit earlier yeah. just because the way this film starts out is it looks like it's a film essentially about child abuse. It's about a yes. kid who cannot trust his parents, mm. who is living in essentially increasingly in terror of these people yeah. who are telling him, they're gaslighting him. They're saying, no, you're not hearing anything. There's nothing there. Everything is fine. La, la, la. And and he's he's getting very seriously concerned that, no, they are lying to him. They are manipulating him. And they are, you know, pretty freaking horrible to him on more than one occasion. So I feel like that's very intense, actually, to watch in a film. And, and yeah. it, it's it's a fundamental thing about a lot of horror movies, I feel like, this, this sense of not being safe in your own home. And, of course... Mm child abuse is that taken to the ultimate yeah. limit and it's it's our whole collective nightmare but the film doesn't quite go there maybe because it can't and maybe because it shouldn't and maybe because we don't want it to but also it, it means that this sits awkwardly bec between mm. dealing with something very very real and horrible and very very unreal and weird and it can't quite, I thought, bring the two together. But I was still scared because I'm a scared. Yeah, well, I wondered initially if there was sort of a metaphor going on mm. here. But then it feels like it maybe isn't. I will say, at school, he is being bullied by eight-year-old... <laughs> he is being bullied by eight-year-old Gary Busey. So Luke Busey, <laughs> who is Gary Busey's eight-year-old son, and who is, imagine Gary Busey, but eight years old. That is this kid who is bullying him at school. He's literally Gary Busey's son. Literally Gary Busey's son. I did not realise that. Eight-year-old Gary Busey. I'm looking at the picture. He looks yeah. just I like seen him, it but wait. Picture, He's a yeah. mini Gary Busey. There was a really interesting piece I was reading about the similarities between Cobweb and this 2014 New Zealand film Housebound, oh, which yeah. Yeah. is amazing horror comedy. It came out the same year as What We Do in the Shadows, which mm. really like consumed the discourse. Gerard Johnson. Yeah, yeah, brilliant little film. And he did Megan, um, which mm -hmm. is, you know, speaking of like horror discourse in 2023. But it did that same thing of leaned hard into these tropes and this woman gets put on house arrest in her mm -hmm. childhood home, which she thinks is haunted, but she can't leave because she's got, you know, the ankle monitor on and everything. And you think the film is going in one direction and leans really hard into that direction to then subvert it in a mm. way that I thought was really surprising and interesting. But, um, yeah, the, the yeah. 
cobwebification sounds really intriguing. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it, it's it's a, you know great performances. I, I liked a lot of it. I just had some issues. I will say also we haven't mentioned Cleopatra Coleman who plays yes. <sighs> Mr. Vine, who's his like kindly substitute teacher. I presume her first name is Providence, but um, yeah, she's really really good fun as well. All right, fantastic. Three stars then for Cobweb, and we're being kicked out. <laughs> okay. We're being kicked out and we may not have a, a studio to go to. So just in case, uh, I will say goodbye to Jimbo because you're not going to be here tomorrow. You're going to an airport. I am going to Florida. Yeah, I'm flying literally into a hurricane. Are you going tonight? A hurricane or is, full of snakes. Is that tomorrow? Uh, I'm going first thing tomorrow morning. First thing tomorrow morning. Mm. Are you going to Halloween Horror Nights? That's I what am, I heard on the street. There's, there's a Last of Us house there and I'm That's very psyched sick. about it. That's sick. I'm so jelly. All right, so if we do manage to record something else at list, Jimbo will not be there, and Maria will also not be there. Yeah, because I, I don't think, work here. You don't work here. <laughs> uh, not getting paid for this. Let's not talk about that. Uh, but thank you for coming in. Thank it's you been so much for a having pleasure. me. Sorry for all of James's terrible Australian accents. Uh, yeah, no, it's cool. Throw right. another shrimp on the barbie. Throw another mendo on the barbie. Yep, love cataloging all the Australian animals. Soft People cocks. may have had to kill or not kill. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks so much for having me on. I, like this has been a dream. I love the show and have listened to it for so long. So it's rad to come here. I'm and so talk sorry. About the graveyard shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please accept my apologies. Please buy the graveyard shift them. when it lands in bookshops on what day? September twelfth. September twelfth. Don't confuse it with Stephen King. Uh, short story anthology oh, yes. buy them both yeah. Yeah. Buy, I, I would say buy them both support yeah. us both I mean fact, like he definitely needs your support you mm. know <laughs> fact, it's not a short story anthology Graveyard Shift is the first story I, no one of the stories Steady. in Skeleton Crew that's right yes. Yes. yes so Anywho. my apologies Yes. anyway bye <laughs> <laughs> unless we get to another studio in which case see you bye. soon my goodbyes were premature folks my goodbyes were premature and now I look like an idiot more like an idiot. God, I walked yeah, into that. About as much like an idiot. We are now in another studio. Yeah. Another studio. And I'm still here. James is still here. Maria is still here. Present. Present. <laughs> Bent meeting. James. Present. <laughs> Helen. Present. Maria. Present. No poor left behind. <laughs> is that is that Baz Luhrmann? No, it's not oh, Baz Luhrmann. Boy. Is that Richard Taylor? No, it's not Richard Taylor. Oh, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Oh. Get ears. Get new ears. It was Murray from Fight of the Concords. Anyway. I see. Free stars. Um, anyway, what can you do? What am I talking about? Anyway, Talk welcome so. back. Here we are talking about the review section of the show. Three stars for Cobweb. Well Correct. done, everybody involved. Shall we move on to passages? Passages. passages. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> How many people do you think will get a spit the dog gag? <laughs> I'm not even sure. Is that spit the dog? It is spit the dog, isn't it? Is it yeah. not? Sausages. Yeah. Is that Sausages. Spit the Dog? Is that Spit the Dog? I don't know. I think it might be Spit the I Dog. I literally don't know what's happening, but tell me about <laughs> Passages. Passages. Yes. Uh, only I've seen this one. Uh, God help you. And uh, this is from Ira Sachs, as we previously discussed. And this is a very, very frank uh, look at um, a love triangle of sorts, as I said earlier on, between three people in Paris. We have Franz Rogowski, who plays... Thomas, who is a film director, a German film director, who is living and working in Paris. Uh, the opening scene shows that he's somewhat demonstrative, maybe also a little bit indecisive, and maybe that will tip your hand as to how the next hour and a half is going to go. He is married to Martin, played by Ben Wishaw, uh, but he has a bit of a roving eye, and uh, that roving eye catches Agathe, who is played by Adele Xarchopoulos. And again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name. Uh, she's been around for ages. I should know how to pronounce her name. That is my fault, my shame. Um, 
but uh, they they have a fling, a tempestuous fling, and um, Thomas ends up leaving Martin for Agath, and then things get a little bit more complicated because Thomas doesn't really know what he wants, and he wants the shiny thing that he can't have, essentially, so he spirals and bounces between the two and there's all kinds of emotional fallout um, and I thought this was really really good I, I you know brilliantly performed very very well observed uh, now this movie is in cinemas this weekend it hits movie in a couple of weeks time it has been hailed as the steamiest film of the summer by people who have clearly not seen Transformers Rise of the Beasts that <laughs> uh, is those beasts were rising those, they were rising and once they rose my word <laughs> my, my <laughs> word what happened uh, this is you know it's it's got uh, a fair number of frankly depicted uh, sex scenes um, but whether it's the steamiest film of the summer I don't know but it, it certainly it's certainly not one for the the sort of puritanical types who have a, a fit of the vapors um, upon seeing Florence Pugh nudity in Oppenheimer. Uh, skip this movie. It is not for you. But I thought it was a really, really well-observed and beautifully played, realistic relationship drama. Four stars in for Passages. Passages. Next up is uh, the film... <laughs> Passages wishes it could be Doesn't vacation know. friends too. <laughs> oh god, the steamiest movie of the summer. <laughs> this, oh my god, this might be the steamiest movie of the summer. I I don't know. Oh. Um, I've seen it and I still don't know. Uh, this is the sequel which snuck out last week on Disney Plus to Vacation Friends, which was an amiable enough comedy from the pandemic era. I I I don't want to give a year to when it came out because the pandemic era was just some sort of dateless galoop but anyway it came out in that time starred Lil Rel Howery and John Cena as two guys who along with their respective wives meet and then don't get on and then do get on on a vacation and now they're best of friends and they all go on a vacation again and hijinks ensue this time with Addis Tivashemi yeah, essentially that, isn't it? I mean, so I, I just, I don't really 100% buy the premise. So Clay Tarver, who um, worked, did the first one, has previously worked on Silicon Valley, things like that, uh, is back again as directing and, and co-writing this one. And so once again, you have Lil Rel's very uptight character, Marcus, and his lovely wife, now wife, Emily, Yvonne Orji. Um, oh, from Insecure. She's amazing. Yeah, fabulous. Um, going on holiday, and they now, yes, invite their friends, uh, Ron, John Cena's character, and Kyla, Meredith Hagner's character, um, who are also now married, along on this vacation with him. But Marcus doesn't tell them that this is actually going to be a work trip. So he's, he's out a few days early, and he's doing just fun vacation stuff, and the plan is that then they're going to leave and he's going to be able to then do his work event. Now, immediately, I have notes. You know these people are wildly irresponsible. That's the whole point of Vacation Friends, uh, the first movie. So why are you letting them anywhere near mm. a professional situation where the company you want to be working with is paying for your trip? Like, that's immediately not a good idea. And then, of course, Kyla's dad, who's played by Steve Buscemi, uh, or Buscemi, as they always called him in uh, on in um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I just love, um, turns up and uh, and throws more spanners in more works. And the work thing gets pushed forward because of course the work thing gets pushed forward. Of course it does. That was always going to happen. And Ronnie Chang, for the second time in like a month, is playing an uptight executive type after Joyride. Of course he is. And Megan. And Megan. 
And uh, a, another shit. Australian, shout out. Ronnie Chan. Yeah, well, well done. Anyway, my point is, it was a bad idea from the start. I don't buy into the premise. And then everything that happens is what happens in every single story where an American goes on holiday to the tropics. There are drug dealers. There is gun running. There is shooting. There are deadly escapes. I just... In fairness, Denzel just went to Italy and... <laughs> and isn't there to look the after mafia them. Over I know. That was the alternative. <laughs> Equalizer 3 title. Yeah. <laughs> Vacation Friends. <laughs> I just... I just... I didn't... I didn't... I didn't love it. And and I, I was... I, I wanted to because I think all these people have good energy. They all seem like nice people, you know? It just... I didn't love it. I don't mind the plot. I don't mind plot machinations. I don't mind them tying themselves in knots to justify stuff in, in movies like this. But uh, it has to be funny. It's not as funny as and it should be either, is it? And it coasts. Oh my yeah. God, there's a coast. And um, I didn't find it particularly funny, I have to say, even with Adesti Buscemi, who is a really underrated comedic actor. Yeah. And um, part of the Adam Sandler stable. Which we'll get onto in a which second we'll get on to uh, as second. well. And I sag. Yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't. It just didn't work for me in the way that the first one was one of those. Hey, it's a pandemic. We don't have many movies to watch. Here's a movie. Let's watch it. Oh, actually, this was this one's pretty fun, and you know the chemistry between the leads is so good. And this one, yeah, they're yeah. they're phoning it in. Yeah, it sadly. Yeah. Um, we don't have a review, but I think we're probably both in the two star camp. In I this feel one. like we are. Yeah. 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 Did make me want to go on holiday, though. Uh, yeah, sort of the Equalizer 3. Not with fairness. any of these people. Sort of passages. There you go. Passages. Passages. What about You Were So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, which is the new Adam Sandler movie. Another one that they've snuck out on Netflix without telling me. This one is on Netflix. And just like last year's Hustle, this is an Adam Sandler movie that's just come out of nowhere, essentially. But this and just is... like Hustle, it absolutely rips. Oh, does it, does it yeah. Helen, does it rip? I, th- I enjoyed it. Maybe not quite as much as Maria did. Why don't you set it up? Oh, yeah. you've seen it. Oh, you've seen it. I, I have. Oh. I have. I know. Who would have believed? Who would have thought? I did a job. Um, so basically, it follows Adam Sand- one of Adam Sandler's daughters who's leading up to her bat mitzvah. And she is going through the machinations with her best friend who's also leading up to her bat mitzvah as well. And there's a boy, because there's always a boy, that they both perhaps mutually like. There's a betrayal. And so in, ensues a series of capers to ruin one bat mitzvah, maybe go too far and try and win back the real love of the story, which was not the boy at all, but rather the best friendship. Yeah, it's yeah. it's quite like a, a it's quite a predictable plot, but I think one that is relatable for anyone who's ever been mm-hmm. a teenager in the sense that yes. even if it wasn't over a boy, you probably fell out with your best friend at some point and were devastated about it and had to deal with it somehow. I do find it really interesting. Like This is a full Nepo Baby movie in the sense both that... Both of his daughters. It is it? Adam Sandler playing yeah, Danny Friedman and both his daughters playing his daughters. His wife not playing his wife, but she is in it. <laughs> she always yeah. decided to come along. So Jen- Jackie Sandler is the best friend's mum. And Idina Menzel plays the mother of Adam Sandler's oh. kids. Uncut Gems reunion. Uncut yeah. Gems reunion, yeah. yeah. The one and only, um, wickedly talented Adele Dazeem. Adele Dazeem. <laughs> um, and, and it look, it goes deep into, you know, a lot of scenes with Rabbi Rebecca and sort of like I could have genuine, done with less scenes with Rabbi Rebecca. She was quite a lot. She yeah. was quite a lot. But like a lot of scenes of like bat mitzvah prep and like practicing, reading the passage from the Torah and, and like getting the whole thing like ready in people's heads. So it's very much... It's very culturally specific. Very culturally specific. And it, and it felt to me like a more Jewish, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, mm. but then with these weird Adam Sandler bits of humor. Like it was a very... So on one hand, you've got quite a sort of, uh, you know, delicate 
true story about being a teenager and the emotions and the the ferocity of all of that. And on the other hand, you have crazy, weird comedy nonsense. So I didn't feel like that always sat mm. close, sat brilliantly together. So it's one of those hybrid Sandler movies. It's felt a, a hybrid to me. And a like, maybe it's a lot younger than your usual it's Adam a lot Sandler younger, movie yeah. too. It's probably a little bit closer to like your cheaper by the dozen type. He's, is he the lead or is he, no. would you say, the No, no. supporting. But, okay. you know, like his younger daughter is the lead here. So I think it's uh, Sonny Sandler is, is, the, is the lead, mm. actually. Netflix okay. has like a little YA camp where they pump out YA targeted rom-coms like To All the Boys I Loved Before and different shows that sort of hit that target then market. Then cancel them. Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. Do stuff. Revenge last year by Jen Caitlin Robinson was also really awesome and skewed older and this is much younger. But it had, what really surprised me was that it has a quite genuine mean streak yeah, in a really? way. Yeah. yeah, like it really reminded me of like Baby's First My Best Friend's Wedding sort of vibe. Like, you know, if you were going to go that first and then maybe a few years older, head up My Best Friend's Wedding, which I thought was really interesting. But there's also this recurring bit where Adam Sandler's other daughter is really into horror. And so her and her best friend are always watching a horror movie on their phone just in a scene at any time in the movie. And it's stuff like Leprechaun 3 and <laughs> <laughs> Evil Dead or whatever. And whenever a guy sees them watching horror on their phone, they say, oh, that's awesome. Have you seen? And they always pretend to have seen whatever movie the guy recommends. So he'll go away. And then the next scene that you have them watching a horror movie, it's whatever the last dude recommended. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this recurring bit throughout. Like, oh, that's a really nice, neat little wrinkle. Yeah. In the middle of a bat mitzvah and there's somebody watching Evil Dead 2 or, you know, It Chapter 1. Yeah. All for it. All for it. So this is uh, this is written by Alison Peck, uh, based on a book and directed by Sammy Cohen. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, that's, that's cool. It's got a lot of good energy. It's just, it's um, for me. It just maybe because I've seen Are You There, God, recently, but like it feels, I, I wanted it to either be a little bit more serious or a little bit less so, and I feel like it's a little bit in the middle. But I, I think it is going to find an audience. I think it is going to be, you know, because it is. You're right, mm. very specific, and I feel like that actually weirdly makes it more interesting to a wider number of people. Yeah, I've never been to a bat mitzvah before, yeah. and I was, I found like it was really inclusive rather than exclusive in terms of inviting an audience into that world and like letting you understand the mechanics of it and the different values and what's important and why it's important. But also the themes of, you know, best friendship, but also that age of like being 13, 14 and female friendships are so formative, but also can be vitriolic. You know, they're defining at that particular moment in time that I found that really compelling mm. and really familiar in a way that the cultural stuff is um, is something that's like more of a value add rather than something that's going to mean people can't access it. Yeah. All right. So three stars then for this one? Yeah, I think so. Three stars then for You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, uh, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, but you are so invited to our next live show, folks, which is just over a week away now. We're going to be at King's Place on Saturday, September 9th, doing a live show as part of the London Podcast Festival. And then again on Saturday, September 14th, in our mashup with Drunk Women Solving Crimes. Uh, still no idea how that show is going to work, but <laughs> it's going to hey, be a lot of we're fun. We're going to solve some crimes. We are. Uh, tickets are available for both, I believe. 
Uh, streaming tickets are certainly available for the live show, for the Empire Podcast live show. If you go to kingsplace.co.uk you can, and you can't make it in person and you want to see us live because that is a bespoke podcast that will not be available anywhere else afterwards. So it's not really a podcast, it's just more of a live show. But anyway, it will not be available as a podcast. So either being there in the flesh or buying a streaming pass is the only way you're going to hear whatever fucking nonsense comes out of our mouths on that stage at King's Place. Uh, I can't speak for Drunk Women Empire. I think that might be released as a podcast down the line, but who knows? kingsplace.co.uk. There might be one or two tickets still available for the live show uh, and tickets as well for Drunk Women Solving Crimes. Very exciting. Very exciting indeed. Just over a week to go back on stage. Right, and I think that's it. Hurrah! I think that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. It has been a bumper-sized, jam-packed edition, but I enjoyed 33% of it, and that was the most important thing. Uh, Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by... Absolutely no idea. Great! Super cool. Excellent. But they'll uh, be good. Yeah, they will. They'll be good. Maria, you're available to come back? Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually am still in town, so like, hit me up. Okay, I'll have go. seen some more stuff by then probably. We'll be joined by Maria Lewis. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> She'll have written another book by then. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, actually, the Assassin's Creed one comes out in a few months. So. Assassin's Creed one? Yeah, for tying in with the new Mirage game, Daughter of No One. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and she's just exciting. written a Marvel book. A Marvel book? Yeah, about Bobby Morse. Oh. Super spy. Yeah, Mockingbird herself. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah, that's good. what it's called. Mockingbird Strikeout. Set at Oxford, you know. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Exciting stuff. Does she meet Inspector Morse? No, but she does meet Lance Hunter, an agent of strike. And they do <laughs> go to the Inspector Morse pub, so. Oh, that's there nice. You go. Yeah, that's which is also where uh, former Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke set the Guinness World Record for drinking a pint in, I think it was under 11, six second, 11.6 seconds or something like that. And then he bailed, bring me your brown snakes. Yeah, exactly. He actually would. He was pretty loose unit. Wow. Okay. Once again, the Emperor podcast does not condone the... Brown snakes? <laughs> brown snakes in <laughs> and general. And for the record, neither does Maria Lewis. Yeah. trying to save a dog. Yeah, trying to save a dog. You've, actually, if you're a brown snake and you listen to this, leave the dogs alone, you shits. Yeah. Brown snakes are <laughs> well known for yeah. listening to podcasts. I yeah. feel like it was more the puppy's fault than the brown snakes. Puppies, generally speaking. Oh, brown snake, look like a stick. Yeah, exactly. I can't condemn puppies. They're wee terrorists. They're just out here trying to ruin things. We do not negotiate with terrorists on the Empire podcast. <laughs> or terriers. Or terriers. Yeah, especially those guys, little Scottish terriers. <laughs> Scottish terriers. Mm. The Mac IRA. Mm. <laughs> Are we sure about that one? Not sure about that okay. one, but we'll see. Wasn't that the jackal with Richard Gere, Declan McGinnis? See how it goes. I tell you what. Tell you what we'll do. We'll tell you what we'll do. <laughs> Going to toss a coin now and see if this stays in the podcast. <laughs> it will stay in the podcast until three o'clock in the morning when we get a panic heads, text saying you've taken yes. out. Heads, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, staying in. Staying in. Apparently, <laughs> I have. Uh, oh, boy. oh dear. Okay. Well, what can you do? Um, I did cut out a whole boatload of c**ts from last week's podcast. By I'm, the way. I'm still in it. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. I've already said goodbye to Maria Lewis, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank been you so, so much. great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. There you go. Uh, I've already said goodbye to James Dyer. Bye. G'day. 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 How do Australians say goodbye? All right. Goodbye. <laughs> I can say it, but I think you're going to have to edit it out. Oh, oh, oh now okay. I want to hear it. All right. Ladies, Hey, love it. We don't edit that out. Yeah. No, that's how we're going to sign off every podcast from now on. We only oh, edited no. out the um, 
the sea bombs from last week's podcast because I felt that it was not in keeping with the tone of the rest of the show. I disagree. Mm. What was it, like Paw Patrol 4 you were reviewing or something? It was, yeah. A cab. <laughs> a cab. <laughs> a, a pab, surely. All Paw Patrols are bastards. That's it. There Kill the go. bill. Anywho, it's also <laughs> goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Yeah. Toodaloo. Jesus toodaloo, Christ. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to write a long apology note to, as far as I can tell, Ben Mendelssohn, <laughs> uh, Brown Snakes. Yeah, the uh, Nation of Australia. The Nation of Australia. The Nation of Scotland. New Zealand. Pretty much everyone. Uh, it's going to take me a long, long, long time. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next time. Latest cunts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>